The history of television is a history of failure. For every television series that lasted years and years, there were dozens that lasted only one season or less. But did they deserve to die? Or were they... Cancelled too soon? children one and all to cancelled too soon the podcast where we review tv shows that lasted only one season or less sir i know julie anders and you sir are no julie anders oh that's one yeah that's that's fair actually yeah <laughs> my name is william debiani i am a film critic for the rap and other places as well my everyone calls me bibs my name is whitney seibold i write film reviews for ign and other places as well sometimes <laughs> When people write in, they call me Rockmeister McCool. Still not sure how I feel about that. Just own it. You don't I, get to pick your nickname. I, there are way worse <laughs> nicknames than I've had a lot of them. Rockmeister McCool it is. There you go. Uh, and yeah, welcome back to Cancelled Too Soon, uh, the show where we review TV shows less than only one season or less. Had a lot of delays at Cancelled Too Soon lately. We are sorry about that. It's been more of a bi-weekly show than a he, weekly he, show here lately. Re- here recently. Yeah, yeah I mean. it's just it, things are really hectic. We're trying to put a bunch of new like frying pans in the fire and... You know, as a result, um, I can't can I, think of this food metaphor. Like, I, I, things I pic- are yummy, but you said frying longer. pans in the fire. I picture like a gigantic raging bonfire, and you're just like hucking pans <laughs> into it, <laughs> like just into the center of this big blazing not bonfire. Not as flammable as you'd think. No, although I, I've exploded a rock in a fire before. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that was really fun. Don't, kids, don't do that. No, generally speaking, no, no. The, the, this was this was from a time when I think pyromania was like a little bit more common amongst adolescents. Yeah, it wasn't, or seen at least the... it was more permitted. I'm not exactly yeah. sure what was going on, but there was a lot of setting of fires when I was a youth. Yeah, uh, well, we hmm. probably not do that anymore. Uh, no, no, we don't do it anymore. Yeah, this, that's that's this the lesson ba- we're going to learn from this week's th- episode. This was very strictly bound in by the tenth grade. You know, by the time you're a junior, it's kind of you, you give it up. Yeah, well, listen, that's totally appropriate because we are talking about an educational series uh, this week on Cancel Too Soon. And that is the lesson uh, that we're going to be exploring throughout this week's episode of Cancel Too Soon. Why not to set things on fire? Well, no, it's more about uh, how to make a wonderful looking fire using your ingenuity for a stage play. Sir, I know Julie Andrews. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're talking about Julie's Green Room. This is gonna be the best workshop ever! Copy that! We're going to be learning about the magic of the performing arts. <laughs> His name is Hugo. Every theater ought to have a duck. It's time to start our acting class. First, there's listening. Super important. Mm-hmm. What did he say? Are you ready to sing your hearts out for Miss Julie? In harmony! Fire up the bus, Gus. These kids are going to Broadway. <laughs> My job is to make people laugh. Are you good at it? <laughs> Am I good at it? I don't know. What have you heard? All right, ready, everyone? Yeah. Yeah. 
Everybody come on out. What are we gonna learn today? We are going to build Mashup the musical. Everything in between. Awesome! Remember, every part, big or small, is important to our play. Best friends make the best team. We can do anything. You guys ready for your big night? Totally! Put it all together, we can do anything. Okay, so Julie's Green Room is a show that is, I mean, we've re- we reviewed a fair number of kids shows before. Mm. I don't know if we've ever done one that was specifically, like, for preschoolers before. This, this show skews very young. Yeah, this is, like, maybe not preschoolers, but, like, it tops out around second or third grade. Oh, yeah, max. Yeah, like, that's um, definitely the target demo. Mm-hmm. I, think, I think it's a show that you can watch with parents and they'll enjoy it and they'll appreciate what it's teaching kids but it's not one of those kids shows that's for like adults to appreciate as well this is not a steven universe this is not Mm -hmm. a even a sesame street where a lot of the humor is you know a little bit more like referency to things that like adults uh, might get and sesame street today like modern sesame street yeah yeah, is is really kind of like we're going to talk about being mad so we're going to do a mad men parody because kids love mad men right and Uh, and, and i appreciate the wit that goes into that but that's not julie's green room julie's Hmm. green room is an educational series for kids co-created by and starring the legendary julie andrews and if you are not super familiar with julie andrews she well, starred in mary poppins and the sound oh, of music and you're super familiar with julie Andrews. i hope so but a lot of people think, are young yeah. a lot of people are young Victor, she's victoria a, a she's a stage and film legend a wonderful wonderful singer she doesn't do so much singing anymore because she's had some throat problem mm-hmm. like throat health issues also she's she's an also, older she, woman she's, she's 83 years old and uh yeah she is the host of this show and uh, and it's a puppet show as well. There yeah. are puppets created by Henson's Workshop, and the puppets are called the Greenies. Yeah. In that they are taking what is essentially a summer school feeder program yeah. for little kids. Yeah. Julie Andrews uh, plays a woman named Julie. I forget if she, she's not playing literally Julie Andrews, but I don't know if her character's last name is Andrews. She She's called Julie. She's Julie Andrews. Basically, she's She Julie knows Andrews. a lot of famous people who, yeah. uh, in the conceit of the show... Were all once little kids in her theater program, or her father? They talk about like her father, like some of the older people who have gone through the program. Oh, they were yeah, in her yeah. father's program. But the idea is, she runs a very respected uh, stage theater uh, theater and, school for kids. Yeah, and uh, every summer there is a particular course. And they select a certain number of kids. It's a highly selective school. It's considered quite an honor to get in. Mm. Um, and they learn from every different aspect of um, stage and theater in the effort to put it all together and put on a big show at the end using mm. what they've learned. And the conceit of the show is every single episode, they bring in a famous guest star mm. to explain what they do. The expert, yeah. Yeah, they explain what they do. A little bit of how they do it. They don't get into a lot of the craft, but just to introduce it to yeah. kids, show them how fun it is, show them how exciting it is, well, give them a little taste of what it's like to do it themselves. And it's everything from how to how to sing, how to do improv, mm. how to write a screenplay, how to how to you know dancing, percussion, music, yeah, yeah. any sort of individual craft within the grand tradition of live theater, yeah. they bring in a, a particular expert. Now, of course, they can't get to everything, but it's a 13-episode show, and they cover a lot of bases. It's actually pretty oh. thorough for a kid's yeah, show. Yeah, uh, yeah they, they st- and the, the conceit of the, the series, which they bring up in the first episode, uh, is that we're introduced... Ju- Miss Julie, I like to think that's a, a reference to the August Strindberg play, uh, but... <laughs> 
uh, Miss Julie and uh, her uh, her compatriot Gus, who is played by. I'm, I'm going to butcher this name, and okay. I apologize. His name is uh, Julian Yao Joello. I am. Uh, he's a young, clearly raised in the theater program. He's got that mm. very theatrical, very presence. But yes, he's, yeah. a, he's a nice young man who he's, works in the yeah, green room. Nice, does a lot of the tech stuff. And nice, does a lot of the wears nice sweaters. Mm-hmm. Has nice hair. I can guarantee you, he is the first crush of like a generation of youngsters. <laughs> Like I, I remember watching Julie's Green Room and thinking, "Wow, something's turning on here." Gus is yeah. Gus is neat. Like I've I've heard that about people who have crushes on like um, if you remember, there was a a, a, a sign language interpreter mm. like who would teach kids sign language in between the programs. Do you remember uh, her? Vaguely, yeah. But yeah, I I, re- I heard a stand up routine where uh, the the young stand up she she said that I realized I was into girls when I saw like she's four years old and realizes so- something's going on here with this interpreter yeah um, that's this guy I don't know if I had one of those from like kids television not, not from when I was, I was that young I, I was I like uh, but I was like a maybe rounding 10 or 11 when I started getting those kinds of crushes I, I remember the first time I thought to myself consciously that I have mm. a crush on someone in a movie and I was still very young I was like 7 or mm. 8 uh, and it was Kim Cattrall and Mannequin. <laughs> Kim Cattrall and Mannequin. I'm like, oh, she's neat. Yeah, you, you realize boys and girls are different. Yeah, I want to uh, hang out with with mm. Kim Cattrall. She seems nice. So, I, not that they like cast him for that reason, but he has that kind of wholesome, friendly, very welcoming vibe that I think mm. kids would be drawn to. I think he's very good in this show. Mm-hmm. He uh, seems like he'd be a great theater teacher for kids. Yeah, anyway, yeah. and uh, and then there's the whole cast of the Greenies, and they're all puppets. Yep, and they're all with the, with one exception, they're all human puppets. It's not like there's a frog and a pig. Yeah, they're and all, a all little. They're all little kids. Yeah. Um. And uh, what's interesting is that all the Greenies are puppets, but everyone who's ever like gone to the school and graduated are humans. Mm. So. Like by the time the Greenies Alec, are the only puppets. So yeah. like, but Alec Baldwin comes in and says, "Oh, I was the Greenie once," and I'm just like, "Did you grow into a human?" Yes. <laughs> yes. So yes. Everyone's, everyone's a puppet, and then they become Alec, a human when they Alec, hit puberty. Alec like, Baldwin, like he 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 like formed like a gremlin's cocoon around him, and when he hatched out, he was a flesh and blood human being. <laughs> I like it. Um, okay, so the the Greenies, and we're just going to mm. do a quick introduction to the characters. Mm. Uh, they are Hank, 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 Fizz, Perry. I was going to explain who they are. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. So Hank, uh, he's a he's in a wheelchair, um, but he's very enthusiastic. He loves sports. Uh, there are a couple of episodes where they talk. About how they, they they're teaching dance and he feels like he can't do it and he learns that indeed he can. Mm. Um, so I like that they at least address mm. that aspect of his character. Uh, we have uh, Fizz, aka Penelope Guadalupe Fitzgerald Sanchez. Uh, nice. She is the the cute one who gets things wrong a lot. Like she misinterprets words. She needs mm. to have things explained. She, to she's her. the youngest of the troop. Clearly. Yeah, she's yeah. she's very innocent. Um, there are a couple episodes where she gets things wrong so much. I thought the show was being mean to her, and then the show actually made that a plot point. <laughs> like, oh, I can't do anything right today. And they're like, well, that's okay. It's, that's what the theater's about. Sometimes, sometimes, sometimes it's you... about failing, oh. and they're gonna just do it again, and you'll oh. get it better. And that was a good message as well. Uh, there's Perry who. Uh, is the diva of the group. She's mm. the stage kid who thinks she's going to be a big star. She's the oldest one. She also knows the most about theater. So yeah. when in, in the first episode, Adina Menzel shows up, yeah. she's like, oh, you're Adina Menzel. I've seen Wicked. I know what yeah. where you're from. The other kids need the concept yeah. of Adina Menzel explained to them, but Perry is on it right away. Mm. Uh, Riley is, and they don't address this directly, but Riley's 
gender is not assigned. Yeah, Riley is non-binary, and yeah. it's not an, an issue. It's not a. It's well, not and, really and, a plot point. And they, it's just who Riley. They is. don't ever refer to Riley like as you know specifically non-binary. Mm. Riley's simply non-binary. And Riley that's is wonderful. Riley. Yeah. yeah, and and, uh, and they refer to Riley as they, and uh, yeah, uh, Riley is never addressed as boy or girl, and I think that's unbelievably progressive. Mm-hmm. That just Riley is incidentally a non-binary character. Uh, Riley is uh, in initially, and I actually think this is kind of interesting too. Uh, Riley wants to be more involved in the stage mechanics. Mm-hmm. Uh, Riley is into technology and science, mm. and initially the actual art form of theater is a bit alien to Riley. Mm. And over the course of the series, Riley gets more involved with acting, starts finding their voice, yeah. and uh, there's actually a really good one where uh, David Hyde Pierce shows up, like right towards the end. Yeah, and to, Riley's, to teach them about directing. Yeah, and everyone knows David Hyde Pierce as an actor, but he does a lot of theater directing in mm. particular. And Riley's like, you're an actor and a director? They let you do that? And, mm. and he's like, yeah, you, know, that's, you can do more than one thing in the theater. And Riley's like, oh, I can act yeah. and be a stage director? <laughs> be, 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 yeah, be like a, some tech. Yeah, so that really mm. is very, very inspiring to them. Um, then there's Spike. Uh, Spike is... The one Spike is the writer essentially. He's mm. the one who's always collecting words. There's a cute gag where every episode everyone uses like a couple of big theater words like grandiose or mm. something like that. And Spike is constantly collecting them in like his word journal. Yeah. Uh but what's kind of neat is that at the end of the series when we see the show they've been working on that Spike has been doing a lot of the heavy lifting on the writing. Almost all of those words show up in the play. Yeah, it's yeah. a nice, it's a nice little through line. Like well, it's not I, amazing or nothing, but it's nice that they thought so it out. The, the conceit of the show is. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. There's also there's also a dog named Toby. Oh, and there's also a duck named Hugo. And and, and the H- dog Hugo, is a dog. The dog is yeah. it's a puppet, but he's just a dog. Mm. Hugo is a duck who wants to act. It's as a duck with human intelligence, but only speaks duck. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, Gus is somewhat is, fluent is, in duck. Can understand the duck Yeah, language. he doesn't always get uh, uh, Hugo yeah. exactly right. Hugo usually has to do a little bit of pantomime oh. as well. But, and what's interesting is... <laughs> the, the way that they treat Hugo as, mm. like, a character, but everyone's always like, you have a duck? It's like, there's something sort of like... Are we letting ducks in the theater now? Like, there's something like a little bit like we still have somewhere to go. We haven't accepted this is, ducks. This is the, the 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 prejudice we have to overcome. We're yeah. prejudiced against ducks. And indeed, there's a there's this there's a subplot throughout the series where at the end of the se- uh, season they're going to put on a play, mm-hmm. and they have to impress a woman named Mrs. Brightful because she's in a position to fund the program. Yeah. But Mrs. Brightful is famously, and I don't know how they know this, allergic to ducks. And I, I suspect they started filming this before they cast Mrs. Brightful, because they talk a lot about Mrs. Brightful before we get any sort of glimpse as to who is playing Mrs. Brightful. Uh-huh. Mrs. Brightful, another TV legend, it's Carol Burnett. Which is a cool reveal. Which is a cool reveal. Kids aren't going to get uh, it, but adults can no. be like, neat! No, oh, it's Carol Burnett. Great. And Carol Burnett comes in. Kills it. I mean, of course she kills it. She's Carol Burnett. Yeah, but she it's nice she, to see Carol Burnett also, and Julie Andrews in something together, just in general. Julie Andrews is playing sort of the gentle children's show host, so she's playing a version of herself. Mm-hmm. She's not really playing a character. The, the Miss Julie mm-hmm. character is just a gentle version of Julie Andrews. The idea is if you took, mm-hmm. if you were five and you were fortunate enough to have like a summer acting class from Julie Andrews, mm-hmm. this is probably what she'd be like. Yeah. Uh, Carol Burnett 
is playing a real role. Mrs. Like Brightville has a voice and like she she has like an accent. She's playing in a dialect and she actually yeah. has like clearly she's affected some mannerisms to give the part some character because Carol Burnett is so fucking amazing. <laughs> I love what so a huge I, fan of Carol I, Burnett you are. I like Carol Burnett. Everybody, everybody loves great. Carol Burnett. Carol it's Burnett like, is hilarious. She's there's like, a lot of people who yeah. show up on this show that I'm a huge fan of, so it was really yeah, cool yeah. to see. Uh, but yeah, the conceit is at the very beginning, they're going to put on a play. I forgot Wizard what it was. Wizard of Oz. It was The Wizard of Oz. They're going to do Wizard of Oz. But there was a plumbing problem in the theater, and all of the props and everything they need for The Wizard of Oz have been ruined. Yeah, everything in the basement has yeah. been flooded. They couldn't do so anything. So using what little resources they have, they decided, well, this is the theater, and the first lesson of the first episode is that the show must go on. Mm-hmm. So they are going to write their own show and the greenies get to bring in everything their own story their own interpretations they get to cast the parts mm-hmm. um well i guess julie miss julie gets to cast julie gets it to cast but and i like i like they do that get to come they, up with roles and then julie gets yeah. to cast them. and i like when they and we'll go through every episode but i like the episode when they talk about casting because they deal with what happens when and and if you've ever done any theater even mm. in school you probably are familiar with this when you don't get the part you want yeah you're in the play but you're not the part you want not and not everybody gets to play the funny character or yeah. the hero character yeah, and or, sometimes, or the queen or the princess and sometimes yeah. directors or teachers will cast people in a role that they think will be more interesting or challenging for them rather mm. than typecasting them because it's a learning experience so, and yeah, that's what, something they deal with as well and, and perry who's the diva who's you know the trained dancer who's really into the theater uh she is horrendously upset to learn that she has been cast in the role of yuck the ogre <laughs> but and what she learns is that villains get to steal scenes yeah vi- villains are actually big hams and she actually ends up really really loving that part really Meanwhile, nice. uh fizz the youngest uh doesn't really know what she wants to play and she is kind of intimidated when she gets the role of the princess that mm-hmm. perry wants and they actually uh, they, concoct a plan, mm. like amongst themselves. Well, we'll just switch roles. I don't care if I play the ogre. Mm. And Perry's just like, "Great, okay, we're just going to switch roles." And Gus is just like, "No, no, that's not the way theater works." No, the director wanted you to play mm. these roles. The director thought Fizz would be good for this oh. role, and you would be good for this role. And it is your job yeah. to make that work. And uh, Riley, meanwhile, uh, they are working so hard on their smoke machine, mm. like. That's all Riley wants is the smoke machine. <laughs> Every dang episode, it's it's Riley's smoke machine that uh, they're a little miffed when they have to play like the the jester, jester yeah. like the fool character, and it's like oh, I don't know how to be well, funny. It's okay, yeah. Riley, you can you can learn how to be funny. Yeah, there's a whole thing with just Riley. Riley doesn't have like that sort of innate actor's mentality. Mm. Riley has to find that. Mm. Riley has to do a bit more work to find their inner performer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And I think the show leads Riley there in a nice, natural, organic way. I I love that... uh Spike is the writer. Hank is like the musician. Uh, Hank is a talented pianist. Yeah. And they have to start sort of working together. And there's a wonderful episode where they have to start co-writing. Especially music. Yeah. They think they're going to be the next Rogers and Hammerstein. Mm. They literally just learned those names today. Yeah. Well, oh, I'm going to be Rogers. I'm going to be Hammerstein. Who are they? I don't know, but they're famous and we're going to be them. Yeah. So you're going to write the music and I'm going to write the lyrics. And it turns out that's really hard. And they actually fight. And I appreciate. And <laughs> yeah. They now, talk about that. Like all co- of the, collaboration is leads to antagonism sometimes. All, and in fact, they learned earlier about the notion of conflict that's going in the book i love that yeah you know a kid writing a story i I tell stories to my four-year-old and Mm -hmm. he's like and you know the stories i tell to my four-year-old and the ones he tells in exchange are usually just oh and we had a good day and we did these things and then we went to bed you know there's there's those aren't really stories that's just sort of an anecdote Mm -hmm. which is fine you know he's he's only four but uh when it comes to actually writing a story something that's going to be presented for other other people 
the th- one thing you need is some sort of conflict. Something needs to happen. To, something needs to happen in the play. And I love that yeah. in the second episode, that's the lesson. Yeah. We're going to write a play and we need a conflict. Well, I think the reason, at least one of the reasons why this show, I mean, there, there are some issues I have with this show, not super serious issues, but we'll talk uh-huh. about them in a minute. Um, but I think the reason why this show, I think, really works for you and me is, let's be honest here, we were theater kids. Uh, yeah, well, that's true. And when I was <laughs> when I was little, and when I was in high school, and then for a while when I was in college, I was in a lot of plays. Mm-hmm. I was um, I was JB Bigley and How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying. Oh, he's the boss at the end, right? Uh, well, he's the boss in the whole thing, you know. But he, like he shows up at the end and like has a number. That's his big. I think no, he doesn't have the big number at the end. He actually has several numbers in the middle. Oh, I'm thinking of a different character. I think it might be a different character. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're thinking of like the different character. But yes, okay. like Jamie the, the big CEO shows yeah. up at the very end. No, okay. I got a. I got a. That was probably my biggest like. Uh-huh musical role i ever had nice uh i was one of the princes and in into the woods in high school <laughs> fun um I so you, got, did, you got to sing agony i did get to sing agony right. and it was a lot of fun um so yeah, i did i did a fair yeah. amount yeah but I, um but like and so this actually really spoke to me and it brought mm-hmm. back a lot of memories of when you're a kid learning mm-hmm. in these environments getting to really closely know and work within the confines of, of other people and getting used to Looking and feeling silly around other people, which is something yeah, that they address yeah, as well. You know, it's okay a, in this environment to let your guard down and look like a goofball because we're doing warm up exercises yeah. and everyone is. There, there's, there's, there's a virus. There's a bug that you, that you're never cured from. By mm-hmm. the way, when when you get the theater bug yeah. or the acting bug or you know the, the the writing, when when you're in the theater, it just sort of gets under your skin and never really goes away. There's a, there's a thrill so, to it. So and yeah, I was. Do you still I, have nightmares? Pardon? These little nightmares about uh, like oh, forgetting your lines. Oh, golly, every night. Um, no, uh, not every night. But <laughs> no, yeah, every like, once in a while, I'll be like, oh, gosh, some sort of some... like like some theater production is going terribly awry yeah. in some way. Yeah, and... like, oh no, you're they're they're doing another production of How to Succeed, and we need you to go on now. You remember your lines, right? No, I don't remember. Sure. Yeah. Can, can I do a production? No. <laughs> <laughs> but Jay Baruchelle is here. You know, look at Jay Baruchelle up in on your stage. dreams. You just bring in Jay Baruchelle. That happened like... in one of my dreams. <laughs> I, I had a, I had a theater dream where everything was failing, but Jay Baruchel, the Canadian comedian and actor, was in the audience, and I just pulled him up on stage, and he did like a stand-up routine. That's hilarious. Uh-huh. that's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's Jay Baruchel's. I interviewed Jay Baruchel once. I bet he'd do it. Probably. Yeah, he seemed nice. I like him a lot. I think he's, he's a good performer. He's cool. um, yeah, he, he wrote the movie Goon, didn't he? Uh, he was in it. I think he co-wrote it. I think yeah. he co-wrote it. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good movie. I'm not sure if he did the sequel too, but I probably think he, he was yeah. in it. I think he wrote it. I think he might have directed it actually. Uh, but anyway, Jay Baruchel aside, <laughs> yes, Jay Baruchel is not in Julie's. He's not in Julie's green room. Um, I want to talk about, but yeah, um, the, the idea of a show that caters to little kids who are interested in theater mm-hmm. is great, and I think. Uh, Julie Andrews definitely has an agenda here. She's trying to get kids hooked on theater. Mm-hmm. This is not just for kids who have already been bitten by the bug. This is yeah. for uh, this is to introduce kids to that bug and hope they get bitten. I think I suspect, and this is co-created by uh, Julie Andrews uh, and Julie Andrews' daughter. Yeah, uh, who is um, Emma Walton Hamilton is her name, uh, and also uh, a TV producer and screenwriter uh, Judy Rothman, who mm. worked on everything from uh, the New Adventures of Madeline. Uh, to, she, she's, uh, to Arthur. She's like the, yeah. the, the TV veteran that they brought in, I, I imagine, to sort of make it more TV and keep it on track. Because mm-hmm. Julie Andrews doesn't work in TV a lot. Yeah, I'm sure you need someone a, who could put in this In fact, this might be her only TV series. Um, I don't know that for a fact, yeah, but she's let, not famous for doing TV series. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, 
Yeah, so it's. I think it's clear that they're seeing to themselves, people are consuming media on streaming services. They're going mm-hmm. out to the theater less and less and less and less and less as kids. We want to not only, you know, just encourage kids dramatically and creatively, but mm-hmm. also make sure they're interested in the live theater right. so that we can make sure there's a future generation of people who will care and keep it alive for, for forever. Excuse me. Julie Andrews had a one-season variety show in 1974. Excuse me, 1972. And it was just called The Julie Andrews Hour. Oh, we got to check that out. Yeah, it was on ABC. All right, we need to check that out because that sounds amazing. (laughs) Um, So fair enough. Hmm. We missed a Julie Andrews show. Um, Kids shows in my memory and the ones that I've sort of witnessed Hmm. more recently... Um, one thing that they have on this educational level is structure. Mm. Uh, the episodes are basically, we do this, 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 and the show yeah, is so, Well, so kids can sort of understand the structure. They always know where they are in a show. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. And, and so, that, that, and that so sort of sh- predictability is good for kids. It's like a lesson plan. And like mm. any lesson plan, you just want to make sure you get through these beats. So the structure of Julie's Green Room, and we'll go through each episode mm. in a minute, but the structure of Julie's Green Room is this. There's a little sketch at the beginning setting up what's going on today, what challenges yeah, need you, to be overcome. Usually with, uh, before the Greenies have arrived, with mm. just Julie or with just Gus yeah. or with the two of them or, then... or Hugo as well some later in episodes well, mm. um, then uh, the greenies come in and they introduce what the lesson for today it's going to be acting mm. it's going to be dance or whatever uh, and then they do warm ups and mm-hmm. this is clearly designed to at least at least theoretically include kids at home now they're never mm. actually talking to kids at home can you say rubber baby buggy bumpers yeah. or something like you that? You warm up with us. But, but it's yeah. clearly something a kid at home can do. And we go down the line of all of, oh, excuse me, I'm bumping Sorry. the mic. Uh, we go down the line with all of the greenies and they each give sort of their attempt and they do something very simple that Vocal actually, exercises, yeah, wave your hands around. Fulfills like that. it, yeah. yeah. Uh, and then uh, they introduce their special guests uh, well, uh, then- of the week. Well, and th- well, then Julie says, "I need to go get a pie," yeah. or "I need to go make a phone call." I was about to, or, I was about I, to yeah. hint that. Usually, or, I need, I need to go sit down. And the, uh, most, the most contrived <laughs> and arbitrary part of the show uh, is when Julie Andrews just leaves for to, half an has episode. Has to leave for for most of the episode. I, I don't know why. Maybe Julie Andrews was just like, "Like, I'm not going to do a whole episode every day." But well, like, look, Julie Andrews is 83 years old. I know. I'm yeah, not. She, I'm not saying. I'm not. I'm not begrudging her. I just. Mm-hmm. I wonder if it was specifically just because Julie Andrews could only afford them so much time, or maybe mm-hmm. if because they really wanted to highlight the guest star every week and yeah. let them sort of take control of the conversation. Because I imagine, look. They bring in they bring in Alec Baldwin to teach the kids the basics of acting. But here's the thing: Julie Andrews is right there. <laughs> she's done. I don't uh, need Alec Baldwin. She's done more acting. She did uh, Alec Baldwin's whole career before Alec Baldwin was born. Yeah, like we don't need Alec Baldwin because we have a Julie Andrews. So I, that might also be the reason. But yeah, not, uh, not in, to upstage the the guest star. And perhaps the only parallel between Julie's green room and Hop Springs Hotel, uh, <sighs> the excuse for this bit is sometimes absolutely ludicrous. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes Where, it's, where's my umbrella? Excuse me, I'm going to go. You greenies, you listen to Andy Menzel. Sometimes it makes sense. Sometimes he's just like, oh, yeah, I have to go finish sewing the costumes. I'll go do that. Mm. And sometimes it's just like, I have to go to a yard sale. Yeah. <laughs> I'm watching this with my wife, Michelle, and we watch most of the episodes together. And we're just like, oh, you're not even trying, Julie. You just don't want to be there. You're just in the, you're just in your office smoking pot, just was, waiting for like. I was almost waiting for her just as, at one point say, "Well, greenies, and this this is our special special ballet, and they're ma- ballet dancers, and they're married, and oh, what's that?" And just walk off camera. 
Um, and then the special guest of the week introduces what mm-hmm. they do, their particular expertise, what they're here to teach. The kids ask some sometimes jokey questions, but usually pretty basic questions that little mm-hmm. kids might want to ask about things like improv or physical comedy or whatever. And then they do some exercises. One of the kids has a particular difficulty with it usually, and that is overcome. And then they and, all and figure it out yeah. by the end of the episode, and they do it rather well. And yeah. then everyone goes, yay! And I, then next I, week, I we appreciate have that all of the kids, although they have very very different personalities, you know, simple personalities. They're just kid puppet characters, yeah. but uh, they all have very distinct personalities and each one of them struggles. Mm, it's there's not always like, like there's, there's one not, of them is bad. One at, of them yeah. is, yeah, it's not like one is constantly struggling or one of them has like one particular thing they're struggling with necessarily. Although Riley is clearly struggling with like uh, confidence on stage. Riley struggles with confidence yeah. on stage. Fizz seems to struggle with... I'm not even sure. Just a little well, bit with, everything, with, well, really. With grasping the concepts, because yeah. Fizz is the youngest one. Yeah. Mm. She's the one who, at the end of every episode, mm. says, when I grow up, I want to be a ballet dancer. Yeah, yeah, when yeah. I grow up, I want to be a director. When mm. I grow up, I want to be a... Uh, mm. Fizz, slow your roll. Mm. <laughs> you don't have to decide what you want to be mm. now. You really, I, really don't. And, and I do like that, you know, Hank is in a wheelchair, uh, but... They actually address it. It's like, well, what about me? I can't do anything with my legs. And mm-hmm. they and they say no. Actually, you can still you can still act, you can still act you can oh, still dance. I actually forgot one of the even, key things that they mm. do in every episode, which is first off they do they, they do one little cutaway montage of all the new uh, mm. celebrity guests, just in case yeah, kids don't know who they are. Like mm. David Hyde Pierce played the stick bug in A Bug's Life. That's yeah. where you probably know him from. But he did all this other work. They're going to say you, you probably know him from Frasier. You, you watch Frasier with your kids, right? Yeah, they don't it's mention like, Frasier. They mention like for, mm. when Alec Baldwin goes in. They don't say. And here's his wonderful iconic speech from Glengarry Glen yeah. Ross. Like, no, they tell you about well, when he... Well, like, how did you get started in acting? Let me tell you about a little film called Miami Blues. Yeah, you know Alec Baldwin yeah, as the narrator from Thomas the Tank Engine. Yeah. Like, that kind of thing. Um, so clearly, mm. that's that's the emphasis. That's But the other thing that they do is every episode, they show a montage of real performers. Real kid performers, Typically, mostly, kid, but typically yeah. kid performers. Every once in a while, they go, like, there's one episode where they go to see Stomp like yeah, on stage yeah. and, and, and the and the actors from Stomp and the performers from Stomp show them how their actual stagecraft works. There's one bit where they go behind the scenes of Wicked mm-hmm. and they get to see the actual stagecraft. But frequently it's kids or there's an episode in which they do um, like adults who are uh, dealing with disabilities who are mm-hmm. also dancers. And there's yeah, a the, blind the, dancer and there are dancers in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. And it's just to show that and, and, and there's and this works And it's works pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, yeah, we get to see some actual footage of their dancing, and it's really great. No, it's gorgeous, and um, it's very inspiring, and it just it's very inclusive, mm-hmm. and it tells you that literally and, yeah, they, any you can do anything pretty much in the theater. You're just going to, mm-hmm. you know, you have to make it your own at some times. Yeah, and, and they do interview some teenage, some like kids and teenagers, and... Some, sometimes, sometimes they're like really struggling to like clearly answer these very stock questions that the show brought to them because they start the, every answer with "What I love about theater is." It's like that's something they, they train you to do in interviews. Uh-huh. Like uh, if you're going on camera, it's like what the- What do you love about theater? And you can't just sort of give the answer. So what I love about theater is the confidence, and I love just doing it with my friends. You know, they're, they're like they're not they're not really haven't really put a lot of thought into it. They're but not yeah. super articulate about the philosophy of the theater, exactly. but it clearly means a lot to them. There was one where they were interviewing a, a trio of young kids, and they're all trying to out 
stage kid each other in one sense. Like, well, what I love about it. Oh yeah. Well, what, what, uh, what Mackenzie said was great, but what Nora loves is that, you know, they're, they're really kind of like <laughs> making their eyes bigger and trying to be a little bit more theatrical because they're on camera because they're little kids and they're trying yeah. to act. And it's, it's, a little bit grating, but a, but very sweet because it's very genuine. Right. Uh, well, let's talk about the individual episodes. Mm. Uh, the first episode is called the show. And by the way, this show aired on Netflix. It's still available on Netflix. Mm. Uh, it's thirteen episodes, which really aren't kind of meant to be binged. You know, they're kind of samey. It's the same mm. basic episode every time. Uh, but again, if you have kids, yeah. really, really great to watch with kids. Yeah. Uh, they were all released on March seventeenth, twenty seventeen. Uh, the first episode is called "The Show Must Go On." We've already basically covered it. Uh, basement is flooded. Uh, coming in down through one of the sewer pipes was Hugo the Duck, who asks if he can stay and help with the production and becomes kind of the comic relief yeah. animal character. Um, Adina Menzel shows up to tell them about the basics of, of theater work mm. and take them behind the scenes of Wicked. And, and that's that's sort of like their first big get to let you know we are going to have like recognizable celebrities. Mm -hmm. And that she's mm. not even the most famous person that they get. Okay, so the next one. Um, she was in Wicked. I mean, I mean she's on. up like, there. When, when it comes to like there. Broadway stars, like name name like. Okay, Broadway ten, stars. Ten others who are more famous than Adina Menzel right now. Julie so, Andrews. Well, okay, Julie Andrews. <laughs> Okay, fine. <laughs> my point putting is Julie Andrews have, aside because she's is, clearly not trying to upstage. My people. point is, is that the majority of the people that they get on this show are actually pretty good gets. Like, if oh, you yeah, could, yeah. if I could like have like a one half hour seminar from any of these people mm. about their work, I would go. Although I, since I'm not a fan of Glee, I didn't recognize the star from the second episode. Oh, but yeah, so it's like one of the guys from Glee. Well, it's actually kind of a neat one. Uh, so the next one's called the right stuff and. Typically speaking, uh, a lot of this show is trying to go kind of in chronological order in terms of, like, what comes next in the process of making a play. And mm -hmm. the first thing you got to do is come up with a story. You got to figure out what you're going to do. If you're not using a pre-existing play or musical, mm -hmm. you have to write one. So yeah. this is one where they talk about writing a play. And the person that they bring in is Chris Colfer. Now, Chris Colfer uh, is best known as one of the stars of Glee. Mm -hmm. uh, but... In addition to that, in addition to being a talented actor, a very talented singer, he writes novels. I mean, he writes kids' books. Like, they're, mm. they're YA books. But he's a successful writer. Okay. And I remember when, like, I, after a couple I, seasons I, I, of Glee... I felt bad because I'm so, yeah. uh, like, completely unfamiliar with his work. I, I I mean, look, the legacy of Glee is complicated because of, you know, some of the tragedies that <laughs> oh, occurred. Oh, wait a minute. I, I was who... just looking him up. He did the Land of Stories books. Yeah. Like, those are I, hit books. I, I just I was just thumbing through one of those like yesterday. Yeah, they're All hit right, books. Yeah, they're, yeah. He's he's a he's, I mean I haven't read them, but mm -hmm. he's a popular writer. Um, I I I gave up on Glee halfway through season two when I found out that they like, really didn't have like a whole series planned of this. <laughs> and indeed, some of the cast members of Glee have ended in var varying degrees of tragic ways. Like at mm -hmm. least two of them are dead from oh, and, yeah, like, yeah, and it's and one in a particularly gross situation. I'm not going to get into, but you can look it up. Um, but uh, the first season of Glee, just as a season of television, is a rock solid season of television. And in fact, it has a lot of the same enthusiasm you get from something like Julie's Green Room, where it's just about the joy of performing mm -hmm. and finding music and art and finding a way to tell your story through pre-existing music. Mm -hmm. And I think it did a good job of at a time when 
you know, sales of songs were down. Glee was actually increasing the sales of music because all yeah, of a sudden these pop the songs soundtrack. Were, uh, well, I think these pop songs that were just kind of in the background for a lot of people, all of a sudden, a lot of them were more emotionally resonant because Glee used them mm. narratively very well. In fact, um, "Don't Stop Believing," yep, uh, "Journeys Don't Stop Believing" is. I think it was on a, some like the top of some chart as like the most like the best pop song or the most influential pop song of mm. all time. It's a, I think it's the most downloaded mm. song of all time. Yeah, and and Glee did that single handedly. I think it was already up there, but I think Glee made yeah. it official. Like, there's mm. no stopping. Don't stop believing. And it's listen, it's a great song. It's overplayed. It's but it's it's, it's it's a good barn burner. Yeah. Don't do it karaoke. You can't hit the high note. <laughs> you can't. No, you can't. <laughs> I don't care how many whiskey sours you've had. You can't hit the high note. <laughs> anyway, um, so Chris Colfer comes in and he's and Chris Colfer, as near as I can tell, Chris Colfer is great. Mm. And you, he's really comfortable with the puppet characters. He feels like he belongs on a puppet show. Like, why <laughs> has he not been in a Muppet movie? Like, it makes sense. They should. They could have cast him as Gus. He could have been. He probably would have I mean, been Gu- really good Gus is it. fine, but yeah, they... they... Uh, Chris Colfer tells them, like, okay, you've all these things you want to put in a play, but the one thing I'm not hearing is conflict. Something has to happen. And so they decide that the plot of their play is someone has stolen all the art. Mm. There's like a kingdom in, in, and a, a prince kingdom, and a yeah. princess and a wizard, but an ogre has come in and the ogre has stolen music and acting and dance, mm. and they have to retrieve mm. the art. They have to reclaim art. Um, and it's sweet. Uh, and, the next episode, they, they realize how, in the next episode they realize that they'd like it to be a musical. Mm-hmm. That that was one of their mission statements. And who's going to teach them about singing? But none other than there's some sort of singularity because all all artistic roads eventually point to Josh Groban. <laughs> Josh Groban is the portal through which you must pass uh, in in order to <laughs> achieve legitimacy. Um, I, listen, I my, like Josh my, Groban yeah. fine. I have no emotional connection to Josh Groban whatsoever. Yeah, He's um, clearly very talented, but I've never heard a Josh Groban song well, or number and thought to myself, not, I need to buy this album. You're, you're not a mom in your mid-50s is well, the problem. <laughs> or, or, a co- or a college student who's really into acapella. Um, He's, listen, he's clearly a crooner and there's definitely a, yeah. a, 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 an audience for that. He's clearly very, very talented, but for whatever and, reason, and, I've never really connected with him. And he's cute. He's that's, very cute. That's, that's, that's the important thing. He has my favorite line in this whole series mm. where at the end, in the final episode, when they finally put on the play, uh-huh. uh, and it's clear they did this like while everyone was in the studio recording their interval episodes, but every single person who came in to teach the kids there's one cutaway to them in the audience going yeah yeah uh, like they get the ballet dancers with, with chris colfer chris colfer like actually like brought i don't know what sort of method thing he was doing but he's like his only line is that's a good story because he taught about story yeah like that and, and that's the gag that's, that's the that's the gag but yeah. he is in tears yeah he's going for it that's good story like he's like he just heard the story of his own parents meeting or something my favorite bit is is from the last episode Mm. when they're doing the scene where they like retrieve the magic trumpet Mm. and they save music and it cuts to josh groban and he's just him smiling i tried to find a gif of this and i couldn't find it it's just him going yes they saved the music (laughs) and he's so sweet and genuine and it's so false but it's so good like he means it but he's not a good actor so it's really funny you can tell that they shot the because they're little like cutaways that's not in a group shot or anything like like Josh Groban and like just two people who were like on set that day like two PAs just sitting next to them so they clearly like shot that the same day they came in to do their guest spot so yeah they're cutting around for their different guest uh, celebrities like I I don't know I couldn't find like the clip of that like on YouTube and I don't know how to turn Netflix 
clicks into gifts. But if anyone knows how, it's the last episode of Glee, and it's just Josh oh, Groban going. Julie's Groban, you mean? I'm sorry, Julie. Julie's Groban. If you go to uh, just Josh Groban, just going. Yes, they saved the music. Like, yeah, jo- I really want that gift. Jo- Josh Groban is great. A, a little bit of a, a personal story. A friend of mine. Her name is. Uh, I'll, I'll call her out because okay. she'd probably be proud about of this. But her name is Renee. Oh, I know Renee. And, Renee's uh, wonderful. R- Renee's wonderful, and she uh, had this YouTube project she was working on. And I, it might even still be up, but if you go to datemejoshgroban.com, there's a series of videos that uh, I and she wasn't my wife yet, but I, Angie, and Renee made where she was trying to court Josh Groban ah. and get the attention of Josh Groban and ultimately go on a date with Josh Groban. And I think if, if these things had become popular enough and she could actually get Josh Groban's attention, then yes, she would do- totally date Josh Groban. Well, yeah. You can go on YouTube and find datemejoshgroban.com. So it's not too like, late for that to go viral. Uh, no, and these are from like 2010. So Whatever, these, these are, these are like a decade old YouTube videos. You can He's find cool. these. the trick is getting his attention. Yeah, once you got his attention, Josh Groban will do anything. So the, these will go viral. This was back when I was thinner and had less beard. And <laughs> okay. uh, the next episode uh, is uh, that's the that's the one with Alec Baldwin, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. The next episode. Oh, sorry, I got distracted by mm. something. So the, yeah, the next episode with Alec Baldwin. It's called "Hello from the Ogre Side." Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, we already talked about this. this is the one where Perry gets cast as the ogre and she's a little offended. Cause she, and she has been priming herself to play a princess her whole life. Clearly. She wants to be a star. She wants to be everyone go like, Ooh, look at how gorgeous. She's, all, she's also she the fashionista. She cares a lot more about the mm-hmm. way she looks than the other kids do. And, um, Alec Baldwin comes in and he teaches them about acting. And every time someone comes in to teach them about acting, they always manipulate the kids in a weird way where like mm-hmm. Perry's like, Oh, I don't know who you are. You don't. That makes me so sad. And Perry's like, oh, I'm sorry, Alec Baldwin. No, no. That, that was, was acting. <laughs> acting. Brilliant. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and Alec Baldwin teaches the kids a little bit about like how to get into character and you know how you have to make the most of every role. And even Julie Andrews says, yes, you know, I tried, I think, I'm trying to remember what the play was, but she wanted to be the star in a play and she mm-hmm. ended up being like, a supporting, a like, supporting player, like yeah. someone who just comes in with a water jug, mm. and you're just like, you got to make that role your own. And mm. That's that's a big and part of it. I think they even say there are no small parts, just small actors, and they're all small actors because they're little kids, and they're puppets as well. Yeah, so we never we never see their feet. <laughs> uh, the actually, we do see their feet actually in a couple of shots. Like uh, we, there's a yeah. What I appreciate about the Henson workshop is just they've they've remained staunchly lo-fi throughout there and like i I mean puppet technology has advanced Mm -hmm. if you watch something like labyrinth that was the first time i think they used like uh remote control servos to like control yeah uh, like a a great variety of facial expressions and jaw movements if you see the movie the happy time murders which Mm -hmm. i feel isn't nearly as bad as people said it was like i mean it's 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 crass and kind of dumb but it's not it's, it's 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 a totally passable entertaining movie. The, it's not a uh, disaster. The puppeteering in that movie is really very phenomenal. I mean, that's mm. all it is basically. Mm. It's just an excuse for puppeteers to do stuff they don't usually get to do. Mm. And if you look at some of the behind the scenes stuff, you realize that a lot of the puppeteering in that movie, the puppeteers were actually like on camera mm-hmm. the whole time because it was just too complicated to puppet, and they just CG'd them yeah. out. Like so, there are there's a scene levels where of the, complexity the, that we're the not main seeing. character is seen like full body shot, like head to toe, like repeatedly stomping on a guy's. Crotch. It's actually one of the funnier <laughs> shots in the movie. 
And yeah, and then they showed a shot of, of what that was looking like. And, and yeah, there were like three puppeteers in full body green suits just yeah. sort of stomping on this guy's cross. So yeah, there's a lot of like modern so, um, technical stuff going into puppeteering, but, but the basics of the, the craft base, yeah, is still it, the, pu- the puppet itself is still the thing that to be highlighted. Mm-hmm. So that even though they're shooting against green screens or maybe using a few servos, there's no CGI. And yeah, there's not even a lot of like mechanics. Mm-hmm. It's just puppeteers doing their work. Yeah, there's only a, there's a couple of shots in Julie's green room mm-hmm. where you do see like the full body of a puppet, like mm-hmm. where Perry dances and yeah. shows you like like I forget it's like the five basic steps of ballet, the, the, the five positions, the yeah. five positions. Sorry, I don't know ballet very well, yeah. but that's the next episode. Uh, it's called Bar None and uh, Bar. Get it, Bar. I get it. Uh, Robert Fairchild and Tyler Peck are famous uh, ballet dancers. I'm not. I'm not familiar with ballet, so I, they were new okay. to me. Um, they were part. I think they're part of the. Um, mm. New York. They're, they're like heading head no, some famous like dance. No, troupe. they're clearly very talented and they're super talented. Mm-hmm. And the montage of like their work is actually just like wow. They're yeah, they, they, they're uh, yeah. at least a, of the filming. I'm not sure if they still are, but yeah, in 2017 they were the principal dancers. Yeah. at the New York City Ballet. So they're teaching the kids about ballet, and this is the episode where again we have a lot of inclusivity uh, that is just sort of taken as red. Mm-hmm. You know, Riley is non-binary. That's not a thing. It's just accepted. Mm. Um, um, Hank is in a wheelchair, and that comes up when it's relevant, and when it isn't relevant, it's not a thing. He's mm. just accepted, and everything's fine. Mm. This is the episode it's, it's where... A, it's also uh, uh, multiracial as well. Yeah. Like, Hank, Hank is white, but I think he's the only white kid. I like the, I like the episode where Fizz is talking... Oh, no, they're R- coming, Riley is white yeah, as well. Uh, they're, yeah. they're, uh, Fizz is talking about like what costume she wants to wear as a princess, and she actually wants to wear... Uh, the the costume of a Central American princess because that's mm. her heritage yeah. and that's just cool. Everyone's mm. cool with it. This is the one where I feel like they tried to address certain um, ingrained sexism, but I don't. I think they did it kind of clumsily. Like it's the one because uh, Spike and uh, Hank, especially Spike. Mm. Are not down with this ballet thing initially. They were under the impression that ballet is for girls. girls, And they say it often enough that Mm. I feel like we're dealing with and not really examining some internalized bullshit. <laughs> like, I well, part they, of me wanted to step in there. Oh, it seems like Hank is dealing with some, we learn some vocabulary, internalized <laughs> bullshit. Well, misogyny. But yeah. yeah, and he's clearly got to figure that out. And and to their well, credit, they, they say Robert lot, Fairchild but, explains that, you know, there's a lot and, more and to ballet. And Tyler than, Peck as well. It's like, oh, yeah. no, I, you know, I dance with a lot of men. There's a lot of men in, in the dance troupe. In fact, there's, it's pretty much 50-50. Yeah. They, they, every time they bring it up, oh, that's just for girls this is a girls thing no 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 they they, they kinda, do school them every time they say it. i appreciate that but i think that the way the show was handling inclusivity before mm. that which is it was, it not even giving incidental, well not yeah. even giving voice to the negative interpretation of this or the oh. misconception and just showing you how it really was i think it probably would have been a more positive thing mm. for the kids in the audience, and yeah, I'm sure there are some kids who do believe that ballet is just girl stuff, mm-hmm. uh, and they might think to them because too much of the media and the marketing and even just the toys mm-hmm. that we give to our kids are gendered, yeah, like to to a, to a ridiculous degree, mm-hmm. you know, not just dealing oh, yeah. with issues, but like just like this is only for girls, this is only for boys, and that's stupid. Um. Rather than give a voice to that, it probably would have been even stronger for the show to just have uh, Spike, who is, you know, a rather macho guy, and Hank, who is a very macho guy, he's very into sports, just be like, ballet, 
cool. Mm. The sports of the theater is a lot of physical activity. Well, and, and they, they and, bring it up early on. They yeah. see it like some athletes learn ballet because it's actually a very important physical discipline. And yeah. people play a lot better if their bodies are tuned like dancers yeah, rather than tuned, tuned like athletes. You have absolute control over yeah. your body. That's incredible. Mm. And and you would think like saying that once would be enough for Hank. Oh, well, all right, cool. It's just, let's yeah. do that. But then he brings it up again. I see what you're talking about. It's not bad. It's mm-hmm. certainly better than I think most shows would handle something like this, but it's also the least effective way I think Julie's Green Room tackles one of these issues. Okay. And if it had gone another season, it's something that I would like, let's not do that approach again. I think we we're okay. better off just having mm-hmm. everything be incidental and accepted. Uh, the next episode is called Write, Write a Song. And in this one, the special guest is Sarah Bareilles. Yeah, the, the, Probably best Who known wrote, for that song Brave. She did the song Brave. I she wrote. Won't see you be brave. <laughs> which I used is, to be able to hit that note. Which is uh, in every preview. Um, yeah, she, it's a good song. It's fine. It's uh, a good song. I, I'm not a big. I'm not. It's not like it's not a hater. I'm just. I'm, I don't. Not too familiar with Sarah Bareilles. But well, actually, I didn't realize until I saw this episode was that she had done all the music for the musical Waitress, which is mm. one I keep meaning to see, and and the musical of Little Voice as well. Oh, I didn't um, know that one. Yeah. Okay, cool. The, that is the stage version of Little Voice. I figured. The, the movie was just old standards. Um, yeah, yeah. That's cool. The movie was just, hey, look, Jane Horrocks is really talented. And you're like, well, yes, she is. <laughs> is there a story here, though? Kind of. Yeah, she's got she's to like her mom's kind of not nice and stuff. She's yeah. got to learn a viable lesson. Cool. And, uh, and Michael Caine is here because yeah, a camera yeah. was running in England somewhere. Was Brenda Blethner mom or was it Julie Walters? Oh, one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Brenda Blythe. I think it was Brenda Blythe. Okay. Well, so if we're wrong... See the movie Little Voice is my it, point. It's, it's quite actually good. quite yeah. good. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the plot's not the reason to watch mm. it, but like it's really good. Um, Sarah Bareilles, uh, yeah, she's the songwriter since I've written for a stage. I... I know how songwriting should go. Uh, I love Rogers and Hammerstein. Hey, Spike and Hank, you should write a song together. And yeah. we talked about this already, how they kind of... It was Brenda Blevin. It was Brenda Blevin. All right, that's what I thought. Uh, yeah, they, they come to blows over the fact that one of them is uh, not writing music to the, the benefit of the words, and the other is not writing words to the benefit of music. Yeah, they're not there's compromising. A really, there's a really wonderful uh, conversation in Mike Lee's Topsy Turvy about oh, this yeah. very thing, where Gilbert and Sullivan have a very similar conversation. Topsy Turvy oh, is... I, 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 I have issues with the movie just in terms of, like... I think the pacing is kind of all over the place, but in terms of like just behind the scenes of the theater, Topsy Derby is one of the best. It's one of the best theater movies ever. Oh, it certainly is. Part of me feels like maybe we could have trimmed this a little bit and maybe made it like move a little faster. Leave in every exquisite moment of Topsy Turvy because it's so, so good. All right, fine. Um, it is a great movie. I, 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 I you like Top- it more than I do. But I love Topsy Turvy. Anyway, um, uh, so over mm. the course of the episode, uh, mm. the kids and Sarah Bareilles, uh, write a song, and uh, then they play the song, and it turns out the song is actually the theme song for the show, so we've already heard it. Mm. But here we listen to the whole thing, Sarah Bareilles sings it, the kids sing back up. It's a nice little song, mm. uh, but it's one of those ones where I'm watching this, and they're like, oh yeah, we all wrote this song together, and I'm like, I think Sarah Bareilles did most of the heavy lifting on this. Look. <laughs> I'm how, willing to bet Sarah Bareilles how, did a lot of the heavy lifting. Old, how old is the oldest greenie? Eight? Yeah, maybe nine. It's fine. I just don't want to. I just think it's you important think Hank, to give Hank everyone and, the appropriate amount Hank, of credit. Spike and Perry might be around eight or nine. The others are all like maybe five or six. Like these are young kids. Here's here's what you do: song written by Sarah Bareilles with help from the Greenies. <laughs> That's probably the best way to put this. Anyway, it's a catchy I, song. It's I really th- fun. Th- all right, all right. It's, it's, it's fine. You know what I discovered when I was watching this show. Hmm. 
there is um Pat Oswalt had a bit about this when he did the movie um Ratatouille. Mm. And um he had to do a lot of publicity. Oh, he has, of, a, he has a bit about doing yeah. publicity for Ratatouille. But like because Pat Oswalt is a stand-up comedian, he deals he works in blue. <laughs> well, he does he has a lot mm. of of raunchy humor. He's not the raunchiest comedian out there, but no. he has a fair amount. And he and talks he, about adult issues like dealing an adult dealing with depression mm-hmm. and his anxiety and all the rest. Yeah, yeah he's adult he's, issues. He he is not a performer who specializes in children's programming. So when the time came for him to do a lot of publicity for Ratatouille, he had to interact with children way more than he was used to. He was interviewed by children. Mm -hmm. And what he discovered was is that kids are way more genuinely positive and optimistic Mm -hmm. than he is. As an adult, as a writer, as a stand-up comic, he operates on perhaps an an unhealthy diet of cynicism, but he's... That he needs that. That feels well, and, him. And in and fact, so, that's that's what we refer to when we talk about edge. And I think yeah. that's why uh, like teenagers are usually really tend to reject really friendly little kid stuff. Yeah. Because there's no edge to little kid stuff. It's it's all at face value. It's all very friendly and it's all very positive. Yeah. Uh, when you become an adolescent, you want a little bit of self-awareness to that or you want a little mm. bit of pain or darkness. Well, you want to push the boundaries um, of it. You, you're every, all the yeah. media you've been consuming for so long is really safe. Like when you're a teenager, that's when you start discovering like violent horror movies yeah, and yeah, stuff yeah. like that. And that's something you get really, really excited about because now the, the boundaries of the art that you've been told are, is okay mm. are being stretched nice to a breaking point. Um, so that's fine. That's part of growing up. It's part of developing your sense of taste. Mm. It's just going to the edge of this art form, going to the edge of this medium or genre and seeing what you like and don't like and Mm. growing up a bit and realizing that just because it's raunchy or violent, that doesn't make it good. Right. Um, and just because it is kid friendly or positive, that doesn't make it bad. It's just Mm. a matter of learning nuance. But when I'm watching, and again, this is not a show that was designed to be, uh, binged by adults, <laughs> but I'm watching like six episodes of this show in a row, mm. and after a while, I'm like, I am too cynical for this. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking. You're, up, you're waiting for like the one edgy joke. It's like I'm, I'm just in my head. I'm writing the edgy yeah. jokes, and I'm just like, no, this is not what that show per- is. Perry's practicing her line. Third, third, third place is you're fired. Third yeah. place is you're fired. Like she's getting <laughs> yeah. lines from Glenn Glenn Ross. Well, so. I was, I was, I was watching with uh, Michelle, and we were just like, okay, I hope that we were like, uh, we hoped for a moment that like the last episode was like. Like learning the importance of like theater criticism and how harsh they could be. Yeah. <laughs> it was just going to be like, you know, Perry is the worst actor who ever lived or some crap like that. It was all about learning to take criticism. And um, and I'm like, that's not the show. <laughs> that shouldn't be this show. But a part of me was just like, it was just so hard to accept how positive mm-hmm. this show was. It was really, really difficult. Um, but yeah, the Cerebellus episode is cute. The next episode is Morning at the Improv, and here's where they learn improv. From, oh, from Ellie Kemper. Yeah, from Ellie Kemper, who uh, was in the office and the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Um, and she, she, she was Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah, well, so she's, yeah, but she's, she's from the show. She starred in a hit show. So it's another one where like the this thing is a that she's big get for no, them. She's a great get, mm-hmm. and it's, she's another one though where. The stuff she is most famous for is not the stuff they want to encourage kids to find on Netflix. So they don't mention <laughs> the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt by name, she says. Mm. And she stars in her own show. Mm. And we're going to leave it there. Because <laughs> you should not go searching for this well, on Netflix when you're done. Here's a movie about kid detectives called Mystery Team. Don't watch Mystery Team. <laughs> that is like a, that is a very crass movie. Exactly. Uh, but she teaches them about improv. And I appreciated that she taught the absolute importance of yes and. 
the most important two words in the improv language, which is when someone makes something up or adds something to the improv, you do not reject it. Mm. Because that stops everything dead and it stifles creativity. You have if someone says, "Oh, here we are on the yellow brick road." You don't go. No, we're in Jersey. <laughs> it might be briefly funny, but you stop the story. Or, or you could say, "Yes, I'm so glad it led out of Jersey." Like you can recontextualize yeah. things, but you can't change the scenario you that was can't just present. Deny in front what of someone you. has yeah. just said, and so like, and, and indeed, I appreciated that in the final episode, mm. there's a bit where Fizz forgot a line. And they rescued the scene mm. through improv. I have been in productions where people missed had, a cue. Had to improvise something. Yeah. No, they had to. And then they didn't. Oh, no. And they just stood there mm. on stage with a spotlight on them because there's literally nothing else happening. I, I'm, I'm lucky enough that I've never had to do that. Like, I've never had to cover for somebody else. Yeah. Although um, I did learn one of the most first day of theater class in high school. I learned mm. one of the most important things about theater. And I've taken it as a life lesson. What's that? If somebody drops something on stage, pick it up. Yeah. That's it. Don't panic. Yeah. Don't improv. Don't do anything. Just pick it up. That's a thing yeah. that happens. Sometimes people drop stuff. And, and in life, you might drop something big. Like you may have dropped a job or lost yeah. you know, lost a, a significant other. Pick it up. Yeah. You don't move on. You, know, you don't need to comment on something that went wrong. Yeah. Sometimes that's just. And sometimes people will go like, "Wow, just, how interesting! What an interesting choice they yeah, made. They dropped it, or they'll they'll say, "Oh." How professional! They just kept on going. Yeah, it's like they'll be impressed with how you didn't comment. I did a, I did a show. Uh, uh, we, we did like but, a, a uh, creative showcase in high school. Oh, sorry, I, I was gonna. Oh, I'm sorry. Say, you go first. No, just I, I, I've never had to cover for somebody else, but somebody's had to cover for me. Oh no! In the past, like I, I botched a line. Yeah. I like said the wrong name. It's like, oh wait, no, that it does say that it doesn't. Oh, how interesting. Uh, no, this is where, he, like, he actually put his hand on my shoulder. That, that was interesting, but, yeah, that was what it said. Oh, yes, you're, you're totally right. <laughs> Thank you, more professional actor than me. Uh, mm. There was one line in, in yeah, How to Succeed yeah. that I could never remember, and we just mm. kind of had to learn how to, like, skip past it. Oh, it was, like, shoot, the one okay. I always forgot. Um, but uh, the worst the worst fiasco we ever had was uh, mm. there was an, uh, when we were doing, we did, like, the high school version of Into the Woods where you only do the first half because it's really self-contained. Mm-hmm. There's like a scene, like the third scene from the end, and the wrong people came on stage and oh started no! doing their lines from later in the play. Oh but no, they skipped a scene. They, they totally skipped a okay. scene. And then finally, it got so chaotic, no one could tell what the hell was going on. Mm. Finally, so like the the director or drama teacher just like pointed the guy playing the cow, mm. and just like just die. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of everyone bickering and saying the wrong lines over each other, the cow just goes moo. And then just died, and then we closed the curtains. <laughs> so when in doubt, die. That's yeah. also good. Um, but the one thing, the one thing I learned was um, we did like a, a showcase once, mm-hmm. where um, everyone in the drama class got to do their own skit. We all divvied up, right. build groups, and we all got to do. We're just telling anecdotes at this yeah, point. Well, it's yeah, fine. Yeah. But like that's what the show is. It's mm-hmm. about theater and. Um, we did, everyone got to do, like, you teamed up and you did, like, okay, we're going to do, like, a long monologue, you act it, you direct it, cool. We're going to do a scene from this movie, you do that and you act it, et cetera, and so And I asked to write the intro. Okay. But it was right around the time Man on the Moon came out and I was heavily inspired by Andy Kaufman. Oh, no. So what I did was I engineered, I created an <laughs> intro where everything went horribly wrong. Okay. And I had, like, people who were dating, like, break up. Like okay, loudly yeah. off stage and mm. then like stomp through and everything like everything was going and to the point where like it was start looked like people were gonna start fighting and then right when it looked like it was the whole play was gonna like fall apart in front of all the parents mm. they were gonna do like the Mighty Mouse gag okay yeah. so just to show it was all a joke haha mm. 
And I don't have that on video because once things started going wrong, the actors were actually good enough that the parents turned off the video camera out of embarrassment. Oh no, they thought it was actually going wrong. They thought it was actually, oh. which is quite a compliment to me, but I kind of wish I had that because it went really well. well. Shoot. There was, they were very committed young actors oh, in my class. That's way more ambitious than the crap I wrote. Yeah, well. <laughs> I, I had, uh, we need a volunteer for our next scene. We're going to have somebody uh, enact an uh, across one of our actors in a scene from Hamlet. And of course, we had a plant in the audience, and we pulled them on stage. Now, at our our theater was very dangerous. They left all the power tools on and plugged in, so you could just walk past a power drill, pick it up, and start drilling into somebody if you wanted to. I did that when I was. uh, Mm -hmm. I I did a for like another showcase. I did the dentist song from. Uh, from Little Shop. From yeah. Little Shop, and we use an actual power drill. One time I got my hair caught in it. Oh, no! I almost pulled it out, but I managed to stop yeah, it. Somebody uh, somebody nearly lost a finger because they left the the, the um, table saw on. These are not the things that now, you're going to see in Julie's green room. No, but <laughs> but because I knew all the power tools were on, I said, we're going to need somebody to, to enact this scene from Hamlet. We pulled them backstage, and we just started pull it like activating all of the power tools. Yeah, so it and sounded then, really gross. So it sounded really gross, and then we brought a bloody skull out. <laughs> And they were Yorick, and that—that that was my gag. That did, was my. Did you sense take of, that from Tales from the Crypt? I—I I didn't. I hadn't seen that episode oh, yet. Oh, no kidding! That's so. Funny. Yeah, great minds think alike, I oh, suppose. Cool. But yeah, I, I, I did this like Tales from the Crypt gag that's when a great I was like gag. seventeen like years old. I like that a lot. That's and really they said, clever. And, and then in the middle of the scene, the, the actor said, "This is disgusting. I can't do this anymore." So we took the bloody skull back, and then we activated the power tools again, and we pushed the actor back on stage, and they're just really lightheaded. <laughs> we, we put their skull back. Oh, that at the was, end of the scene. That was nice of you. That's the stupid joke. See, if it were me, if it were me, you would have handed me that script, and I'm like, I like all of this, but we're never seeing that person again. They're that just person's dead, just going to yeah. stay backstage. They're not going to show up until well, the pro- school tomorrow. The problem was the plant was in future scenes, so we actually uh, needed to, to put okay. her back in the audience. All right, well, that's fair. Mm. Um, anyway, I forget where we were. Ellie Kempers. Ellie Kemper teaches <laughs> them about <laughs> Ellie Kemper. Ellie Kemper teaches them about improv. It's a Q1. Mm. Um, and the next and, one, we have a violinist who I wasn't familiar with. Oh, um, yeah, me either. Uh, so we have uh, this episode is called Quactus Makes Perfect, and mm-hmm. it's about uh, the importance of practicing. You're not going to get everything right the first mm-hmm. time. You have to just... Practice, 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 practice. And so they get a, a violinist and conductor uh, named Joshua Bell. I was unfamiliar with his work. Joshua he's Bell, he's the only one who seems like he doesn't want to be there, though. Um, all, all, all of the, the guest actors, they understand this is a, a kid's program. And even if they are not sort of down with being on a kid's program, they get to act opposite Julie Andrews. Clearly, it's like Julie Andrews wants you to be in a thing. I'm there. What is it? I don't care. You have to act, a, act at some puppets. I don't care. I'm next to Julie Andrews doing this thing. Yeah, everyone clearly um, wanted to be doing this with Julie Andrews. I, I think uh, Joshua Bell wanted to be next to Julie Andrews but really didn't want to act to some puppets like he seemed a little bit annoyed that he had to sit and sort of talk to these puppet characters I mean if you think about it though I mean that's that's kind of what the show is about about Mm -hmm. how sometimes you have to stretch outside your comfort zone Joshua Bell is a professional conductor and musician he's not an actor and he's the one and clearly has a bit of an edge to him because he's the one who is part of that that rather famous experiment Mm. uh, where he went down into a subway uh, and just posed as a busker Ah. Like he's he's like one of the most famous violinists. He's one of the most talented violinists in the world. Will people pay attention to that kind of music if they're not in sort of this highfalutin environment yeah, of the theater? Yeah, where, Did it work? Uh, well, a lot of people stopped. Some people like recognized him. Ah. Somebody, I think, gave him a bunch of money because they thought he had fallen on hard times. <laughs> It's like like you lost your job as you know, it's this conductor at a famous orchestra. And now you're just sort of busking. So yeah, here's a couple hundred dollars. I'll just put it in your your case. 
but it it turns out it did work. I think more people stopped to listen to this like wonderful music that this guy was putting out, mm. uh, which you know might restore a little bit of faith in humanity. But a lot most people just sort of walked by. So if you're yeah. a cynic, it, it uh, benefits you as well. Yeah. But yeah, he he's there and he's yeah just sort of teaching them. Here's how to play violin. He does a little bit uh, on the violin and mm-hmm. just sells. Yeah. In order to do this, in order to do what I do. You have to play every day. You have to do this every day for a long, long time. Yeah, you're not, and they you talk have to about make this sure you're sort of a master. Well, of I this. actually appreciate that they don't expect the kids to be experts at everything. Like when mm-hmm. the ballet dancers come in and they do some, you know, some big jumps, and it, they make it look easy because they've been doing it for years. And then the kids you know. are just like, "Well, can I do that?" And like, actually, no, <laughs> uh, because you haven't trained enough, and also you're so young that your legs aren't really strong enough to do some of the stuff yeah, that we're only doing. Only adults can do what we do. So, like, you need to actually be very, very careful. And and then they totally forget this by the end because, like, the little later dances where people are actually like doing the big jumps, and mm. I'm like, "You weren't supposed to do that." <laughs> but uh, I, I appreciate that they understand that kids have reasonable goals, and they also have some limitations that mm. will be refined over time through practice which is really great mm. um let's oh the next episode this one was cool for me mm. the next episode is called send in the wow and this is about uh clowning they have, they have two special guests this time uh, technically yes they have uh, bill Irwin and uh and, and they have cirque du soleil and, and cirque du soleil they go to see cirque du soleil and they interview people from cirque du soleil um bill Irwin is someone who i saw him like on the list of guests that they got uh-huh. and i was like that's a, that name sounds vaguely familiar mm. And then I saw him enter in his clown, and I'm like, that's Bill Irwin? And I realize it's a guy I've been a fan of for a really long time. He's just mm. this character actor who's in a lot of stuff. He's got this really wonderful small role in one of my very favorite comedies, My Blue Heaven, mm. which stars Rick Moranis and Joan Cusack and uh, Steve Martin. And it's uh, it's a comedy about everything that happened after the end of Goodfellas, uh-huh. where like a mafioso from you know the mean streets of New York ends up in witness protection in suburbia and it's such a fish out of water story that it's really funny mm. great movie uh bill Irwin plays rick moranis's partner who really wants to be a hard-nosed fbi agent but can't quite admit that he's a goofball <laughs> and there's this really great bit there's a really great dance number where they're uh, they're playing the merengue mm. And Rick Moranis and Joan Cusack are dancing and totally falling in love. And he's trying to just be stoic and look cool, but he can't stop himself. And he just does this wonderful, just outlandishly funny dance. (laughs) And I've been a fan of him ever since. And every time I see him, I'm like, hey, it's that guy. I didn't realize, A, that his name was Bill Irwin. He was just one of those character Mm. actors. Or B, that he's a world-famous stage physical comedian yeah and all of a sudden it everything clicked into place so i'm like good he should be famous he's a genius and yeah and i've i i recognized him from um he's in the grinch uh how the grinch stole christmas oh yeah uh, he yeah. plays one of the who's i've yeah. recognized him weirdly enough from that actually not very good late 90s midsummer night's dream oh was he one of the actors in yeah that? he he was uh snout the tinker okay yeah, he was just one of the actors, but I recognized him from that. I uh, don't recall everything from that movie. But and because so. I have a young child, I recognized him as Mr. Noodle from Elmo's World. Oh, that's He has cute. a regular, a recurring role on Sesame Street. Okay, that's great. Mm. So uh, he's the one who teaches Riley, like, how to be funny. And Riley mm. keeps saying that they can't do the things that he does. They Riley mm. can't do the Brad Falls. Riley uh, can't tell a joke. And Bill Irwin just says... You don't have to do what I do. 
Mm. And that's a great lesson to learn. You don't you have don't to copy. Im- imitate somebody. You, when yeah. you can, imitation can sometimes lead to, imitation can be a form of practice. Imitation can be used to find your voice. A lot of great writers mm. and painters start off by imitating other people and then eventually find what they really like about that and make mm. it their own. Some people just copy their entire careers. Cough, Brian De Palma, uncough. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with Brian De Palma, but let's be honest here. He's been doing Aping riffs. Hitchcock, on, yeah. He's been doing riffs on Hitchcock his whole career. That's his shtick. He never quite found his own unique voice, even though he's super talented. The first time I rented the movie Raising Cain, the De Palma film. Oh, I love that movie so much. I said, oh, look, I'm renting Raising Cain. I think this is really impressive because I think uh, John Lithgow plays like three roles. And uh, he plays like this role and this role and this role. And and the the snotty video store clerk said, yeah, and De Palma plays Hitchcock. It's like, like, I I love you, snotty video store clerk. Raising Cain is awesome. Raising Cane really is such good. a John Lithgow should have been Oscar nominated for that. He's so good at that. Yeah, movie. He, he does play three or four different roles at in that minimum. One. And, yeah. Like he's brilliant in it. Um I think that might actually be my current favorite, like the Palma movie. I'm a big fan of Femme Fatale, but I know nobody else is. Yeah, I'm not so, with yeah. you on that. For me, it's it's Phantom of the Paradise, because it's kooky and like anything else he on did. Carrie, of course. Um Carrie's brilliant, but for me it's, Star- it's and Scarface is really good. But I'm not a fan of Scarface. Scarface is fine. Mm. I just I'm not a fan. For me, it's it's uh, Body Double, which is the wonderful kind of outrageous mm-hmm. um and raising Kane and phantom of the paradise and to i i probably respect it the most out of any of his work but it's lower on my list of favorites is blowout mm. like probably his best movie is blowout but it's, it's a, certainly like his most movie movie like the yeah. least de palma yeah of the, the de palma thrillers yeah like well, he's not it's, getting it's in the, the way most of antonioni one. oh yeah <laughs> oh no actually the least de palma movie is is um Mission to Mars. Mars. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't so know I'm what the hell to, that's going on. He's trying to make a hit. Um, anyway, uh, Bill Irwin's really fun and he teaches kids about finding their own sense of humor and mm-hmm. Riley finds uh, a way to make people laugh that is unique to Riley and it's really sweet. Uh, the next episode is Rhythm is Gonna Get You and this is the episode, this is where they play with the format a little bit where they're not supposed to have a special guest. Mm-hmm. And Gus has talked Julie into letting him be the kids who teaches, uh, the one who teaches the kids about percussion. And he's got all of these instruments that are going to come in. He's going to teach them all about oh, drumming. Something. And, what's, yeah. what's a percussion? Uh, what I find a little bit odd is that they say uh, this, like, and here's what a percussion instrument is. When Hank, like eight episodes before, mm-hmm. already told us what a percussion instrument was. This one feels like maybe this should have been earlier in the season. Like maybe they should have yeah, covered this, so. like when they were covering the other music. But I imagine they'd done so many music episodes in a row they wanted to mix it up. Mm-hmm. Like it seems a little late to sort of give them the basics of how music works Mm. but it's still a good episode and uh, what happens is all of the musical instruments that Gus uh, rents end up going to the wrong theater they can't get them in time fortunately because Gus and Julie have worked with literally everybody Mm. uh, everybody's gone through the green room uh he calls up his good friends at Stump, and it turns out that they're fine with just stopping by. And so a bunch of the performers <laughs> from Stump show up with all of their cool Stomp mm-hmm. stuff. And if, you've, if you're unfamiliar with Stomp, uh, Stomp is this wonderful uh, stage show where they you, they turn everyday items into percussion instruments. Have and you they, seen Stomp? Uh, not live, oh, but yeah. like it's it's clearly very impressive. I, I've seen Stomp live. I'm, I'm very <laughs> jealous. I'm very jealous. Stomp uh, is very cool. Mm. Um, so they show the kids Stomp. I, I feel Stomp. like I'm bragging. A lot, a lot of people have seen Stomp. It's well, like, no, of course a it's long-running hit, hit show. But yeah. I actually think Stomp is a really, really good teaching tool mm-hmm. for kids because just like it, they do in the green room, it teaches you that music is everywhere. Creativity mm-hmm. will transform anything into a work of art. Um, and the kids learn that vibe lesson, and it's cute. Uh, the next episode is called Costumer Service. 
I'm, I'm, I'm waiting. Okay, we're done laughing. We're done right, laughing. Okay, I, yeah. I wanted to give you enough time. Now, this is a Netflix show. Clearly, they have access to Netflix people. This is why we had Ellie Kemper, and it's why we have Titus Burgess, yeah. uh, who is also on The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Yep. Uh, and he, although is, I'm, I'm a little upset because Titus Burgess is not a costume designer. Yeah, it would have been kind of cool if they'd actually got a costume they, they don't, designer. They don't, they don't have a costumer on the show. They have Titus Burgess to talk about costumes just what? because he likes to wear loud clothing. Well, and a lot and of his, his characters tend to wear loud clothing. Yeah, a lot of his stage shows, like you play, I think you play like the Cowardly Lion in The Wizard of Oz mm. or some of those. It was The and, Wiz, but yeah. Oh, sorry, The Wiz. Mm. Um, so like he's used to playing costumes and they play it up as though he has a lot of costumes all by himself. Mm. Um, this probably would have made more sense if they'd gotten like Colleen Atwood yeah, or Sandy Powell or someone famous costume designer. Yeah, and... whatever. Mm. This, it, it, don't get me wrong; it's also just cool to see Titus Burgess. He's mm. very talented and very fun, and he helps the kids find the costumes of the characters. And they explain how costuming isn't just you can't just you can wear it's whatever not, you it's want, not but just dress up. It actually says a lot about the character. Yeah, it informs a lot about your character. It tells the audience a lot about your character. They learn the um, Perry mm. learns the importance of like masks can play mm. uh, because yeah. like you are not an ogre, but if you put on a mask, yeah, everyone knows you're wearing a mask. But it creates this like otherworldly. You know, you, there's this distance now. We mm. can accept you as a different character. So that's a nice little bit. Um, and then the second to last episode is the mess rehearsal. Here's where David Hyde Pierce shows up, and he's there to conduct their full dress rehearsal. Mm-hmm. And in true theatrical fashion, everything that can that can go wrong does during the dress rehearsal. Yeah, uh, Hank has lost his voice, even though he's the lead in the play. Um, every Everybody bit of it's their lines. Yeah, I think it's Fizz has stage fright, and she doesn't want to go on. Uh, yeah. There are props that mess up and go off when they're not supposed to or nets that don't and, land where they're and, supposed to. And Riley gets distracted and mm-hmm. they have to run off stage to deal with their uh, fog freaking machine. fog machine. Over and over, over again and with and the over fog again. machine. We don't really need the fog machine, Riley. Yeah, look, Riley's going to make that fog machine work come hell or high water. <laughs> there are episodes where Riley's just like, well, can I bring my fog machine? Like, yeah. how about no, Riley? We actually need to focus on the acting right now. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody's cussing at Riley's face. Leave the freaking fog machine. <laughs> Leave it at home. Uh, David Hyde Pierce, by the way, uh, is no stranger to this kind of material. He's good at playing slightly big and larger than mm-hmm. life, and so he's really, really good with the puppets. He's, he's making jokes with the puppets. I he feels I, appropriate I'm in this environment. Pretty sure he's been on Sesame Street or The Muppet Show before, so I he's would, actually worked with Hens and Puppets in the past. I would be, I wouldn't um, be surprised. And uh, yeah, he. He, I mean, his strength as a performer is being flustered. I mean, mm-hmm. that's that's why Niles Crane is such a memorable character. It's because wonderful of, character. because of his talent. And uh, yeah, so when everything goes wrong, and he has that sort of Bob Newhart moment where he's just sort of like gives this deadpan reaction. Next scene, please. So it's like, yeah, he just, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. Yeah, he's really, really good in it. Um, and then, of course, he has some silly lines as well. It's like, and we're going to about this thing and about, called, about the, an. The about musical an, is called Mash Up the Musical, and mm. he always gets the title wrong. Yeah. And it was like, I'm so glad to be here helping you make Mash Potato the Musical. It's Smash like, Up the Musical. Yeah. Cancel Can, the potatoes. Yeah, cancel the butter, whatever it is. <laughs> Total professional yeah. that guy. And but this is another one where they teach a really good lesson, and mm. the lesson is you mm. want things to go wrong at the dress rehearsal. Because mm. you want them to you want to fix those problems now. Mm. You don't want to have those problems on opening night. 
So they talk about, and this is, I'd actually forgotten this was a thing. A bad dress rehearsal is frequently considered good luck. Mm. <laughs> because you've gotten you're, you're all, got, those, all, all the mistakes are now out of your system. You yeah. Know, all what the, what the mistakes about. look like, and now you can. Yeah. And deal you're going to avoid that. them. Yeah. You're going to remember them because you saw how badly it could go if you did them mm. wrong. And so the kids learn the importance of failure, which is, mm. again, a great lesson that kids don't learn enough about, as far as mm. I'm concerned, is the importance of, oh, you screwed up? That's okay. Mm. Screwing up is part of life. We're going to do it again better next time. Boom. And then the last episode is called Mash Up the Musical. They're, it's where they actually perform the piece. Yeah. And, and, um, Carol Burnett shows up, and there's this bit where like Julie Andrews is trying to keep her as far away from the ducks, like Hugo's family is in the audience. Yeah, it turns out Hugo's whole family is there, and yeah. they want the front row because they're ducks. You know, and, and Carol Burnett has to sit be, behind yeah. them. Yeah. And Julie Andrews is worried that Mrs. Brightful's like mm. horrendous duck allergy is going to ruin everything, and. <sighs> It's a weird plot. Mm. Um, and then the kids, and then like the majority of the episode is the kids putting on the show. We see the whole show. I mean, it's not like a three-hour production. Mm. It's like a 20-minute show. It's very cute. Mm-hmm. Like, if this was, like, you could like you could do this stage show with actual kids, like, in a school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it would be fine. It would be very, very about, charming. About an, a, a fairy tale about an ogre that yeah. steals art, and the kids have to get the I've, art back. I've and done songs. Yeah. I've done theater, like you know, for that age demographic. Um, I've definitely seen a lot of it from being in school, or my mm. parents were teachers. And I had to go to a lot of their like various class productions of things, and um, yeah, this is this is actually fine. <laughs> it's actually a pretty good example <laughs> of it. It's, it's very cleanly written. It's good moral. Everyone's part gets like something to do. Mm. Um, it's very cute. So a couple of things go wrong, but they use everything that they learn. We cut to everyone who taught them anything having a moment where they're very proud. Yes, they saved the music. <laughs> Thank you, Josh Groban. Mine was Ellie Kemper because she's you know always very upbeat. Yeah. And I think she's like, improv to the rescue. <laughs> Somebody screwed up. And, and I think it was Fizz screwed up. Yeah. And, uh, improvised something. And she's yeah. like, improv to the rescue. Yeah, which is, it's corny, but it works. Mm. It's a kid's show. And um, and all of these really famous people are proud of the kids for doing mm. what they could do at a kid level. And That's a great lesson. It's a great lesson. The kids learned every one of the lessons. Mm-hmm. Um, and also... This is not explicit, but I think it's sort of implicit in the way that it was presented. Everybody in the audience is going to be looking at something a little bit different. Yeah. And that means the, point, theater like is, is a, a multi-pronged medium, and mm-hmm. it requires a lot of different disciplines operating in unison. Mm-hmm. So I think... Some people are more that, focused yeah. on the writing, some more focused on the acting. They, and, they yeah. were The kids were allowed to focus on everything. Yeah. They were masters of all of these different disciplines. Um and then of I like I like the show a lot. Yeah, and, and I, it's probably because I'm a theater kid. Oh, I think uh, so. Encouraging kids to get into theater is, I think, a very worthy thing to try. Uh, it's certainly something Julie Andrews is interested in, even though she had to sort of like sit out most of the show. I, I think it's something that uh, you know. I think every kid should have at least a little experience in the theater. They should at least yeah, have an yeah. opportunity to see what it's all about, mm-hmm. see if there's anything in it for them, yeah. understand like how difficult it is to act, and they'll have a greater appreciation for it, at least when other people do it. Yeah, it, uh, I, I hear a lot of people. It's like, yeah, we were. Um if they're in a desperate situation, like a life or death situation, yeah, we were like desperate, but we bonded together because we were sort of in this desperate situation. It's like, have you ever been in a theater troupe? It feels the same way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, you get real close, real fast. Yeah, you 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 get really really close to your coworkers. Um, yeah. 
You sleep with your coworkers. All the people I yeah. still know from high school are oh. people I was in theater with. Yeah, yeah. Everyone else, I don't remember their names. <laughs> but like the people I you did real, shows with, really I still the people, people I still talk to once with. in a while. Yeah, yeah. I'm close to, yeah. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and it ends with uh, Miss Brightful likes the show. She agrees to finance the show. Also, it turns out that she is allergic to ducks, but she also loves ducks and she doesn't <laughs> care. And Julie Andrews was like actually the one being the jerk the whole time. And Julie Andrews was like, okay, I learned a valuable lesson hmm. about. Not being mean to ducks, and uh, the kids all get note cards about like they get their cards about like how they did, and they all get mm. real positive words of encouragement about the lessons that they learned and the and, obstacles and they overcame. And this is a, a tradition in some theater troops where you write anonymous notes to uh, other actors. Yeah, yeah. Which is say, I, like th- I, I, here's things you do well. That's you know? not necessarily yeah. That wasn't actually my experience, mm. but I do know the people who did that. It's very sweet. Mm. And what they actually say at the end, because I'm watching this and I'm thinking to myself. Was this even going to be a series? It feels this is like kind of like a, a self-contained thing. Mm. And then they say at the end when Miss Brightful is just like, I love everything you did with this troupe. I want to bring them back next year. The same kids doing something else. And Julie Andrews just like, well, we do have some ideas. Mm. Which is just her basically just saying, we would love to do a season two. We, yeah. There's others, believe it or not, there's more to cover. And there is. Oh, absolutely. There's plenty more. Yeah. They could bring in people just to teach kids more thorough stuff, or you could teach mm-hmm. them different disciplines that they never got around to, like or, production or the, design, like set decoration, never got or, addressed. Or a different or, look on the same kind of, mm-hmm. of discipline. Like directing, they just sort of skim past because yeah. it's the second to last episode. Yeah, they didn't talk a lot about stuff like blocking mm-hmm. or, uh, or, 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 or other technical things like lighting or mm-hmm. sound or, you know. There's tons Breaking of the fourth wall. You know, there's uh, just so many things. Yeah. You can, you can and, they, and they can even expand on it. I mean, clearly, you know, Julie Andrews is here. We're doing theater. And a lot of it is about how theater is a collaborative discipline. And there are lots of different technical and artistic skill sets that come into putting on any one show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also could have in the next season or the next one after that talked a little bit about movies. They could have like, hey, we're going to film this one. And like, hey, okay, what's a camera? That kind of thing. Here's how you do a a live stage performance with a camera on stage. I think think you could incorporate that. Playing to a camera rather than to an audience. I think it's important to keep it in the realm of live theater. But I also think live theater has so many different offshoots Mm. that you could have talked a little bit about that. Maybe talk a little about documentaries, someone filming behind the scenes, that kind of thing. Well, I was waiting for them to get into a little bit uh, different kinds of nuances of the different kinds of theater. I know that's a little bit too sophisticated a lesson for little kids, maybe. Also, this whole show is about doing only one show. Yeah, it's about... Like this this is a, a musical fairy tale, but what if we want to do like something in the ancient Greek tradition? Or here's mm-hmm. like a, let, today we're going to talk about Anton Chekhov. You know that that sort of maybe not maybe Chekhov. not Chekhov, maybe Shakespeare, maybe but a little uh, Shakespeare, some Shakespeare yeah. you could do for kids. But like yeah, yeah. Or, or Moliere. You know, Moliere is vaguely appropriate, but yeah. if if obscure for a little kid, mm-hmm. um, this is one of those shows. And I guess this is going to answer the question whether or not it was canceled too soon. This is one of those shows that can go on for literally 30 years on public television. Mm-hmm. There's no reason why they can't just continue to explore theater with the Greenies. Yeah. And really, any and, and it, it works out great because you get Julie Andrews and so many, like, a part of this will live and die based on the type of celebrity you can get to support it. Mm-hmm. Because that makes it look good. That gives you more promotional opportunities. Mm-hmm. Uh, but And having Julie Andrews on the show and people who would kill to simply exchange a high five with Julie Andrews. <laughs> and there are people who get to like, you know, have pie fights with Julie Andrews in mm-hmm. this thing when they do clowning. All of that's really fun. You have Julie Andrews on the show, you're going to have celebrities who want to do the show. And then once yeah. that, and once it's established after a season of two, Julie Andrews, Julie Andrews wants us to take a step back and maybe leave the theater to Gus or something. 
There you you go. still got this tradition of the show, and the show has a certain pedigree yeah, where it, you want to be someone who helps introduce kids to the art form that you it, do. It's the Simpsons thing. Once you get like a few big names, people start lining up to be on the Simpsons. Yeah, or, or Batman in the 1960s. Like every celebrity in Hollywood was like lining up to be mm. a guest villain on Batman in the 1960s. Like Cary Grant wanted to do it, <laughs> and they couldn't find the part for him, which, God, I would have loved to have seen that. But like, but why? Because they had Cesar Romero, they had Eartha Kitt, they had Burgess Meredith, they had Vincent like, Price, and um, these are well, well established, well known. Yeah, Milton, cl- Milton Berle played Louis the Lilac, not even a good character, a <laughs> crap character. But it's Milton Berle, like yeah. doing something. Yeah, it was like, an you, excuse you know, to like you know reach Batman out to kids and have than fun. Me. Who, who would Cary Grant have been? Like who a good would Batman? Cary, you know who character. I um, I'm trying to remember. I, I only like, know the Batman characters from the show. No, no, so. no, it's fine. I'm trying to think of like I'm trying to think of like who was around in the '60s because there are some characters who were created later. Okay, I don't know. I'm not sure of like Clayface was originally based off of Lon Chaney Senior. Okay, and he was, uh, he was 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 he around in the sixties? No, he was. I think he was like Clayface was because originally now we know him as this like shape changing blob, mm. but initially Clayface was. Uh, like a mad actor who was like killing people who stole well, roles from him. Isn't like, that what happened? And like, I, I know Clayface from the cartoon series. Yeah. He was an actor who used like too much of a certain kind of yeah. makeup that ended up like infecting his body. Yeah, but something. initially he wasn't like supernatural at all. Initially oh, okay. he was just a master of disguise. Okay. Um. So you have this like this actor who's a master of disguise. Cary Grant might have had mm-hmm. some fun with that. Um, oh, uh, Clayface first appeared in 1940, so he's an old school band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, yeah, he was eventually recreated. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, you you go with like the old school, just like hammy mm. actor kind of shtick. Cary Grant might have had some fun with that. Yeah. Um, it would have been nice to see him play like I think Carmine Falcone was a later creation, but just like a villain, like a dapper mafioso <laughs> villain. Okay, that could have been kind of fun. Um, yeah, there are people that could have played. All right. Um. Anyway, yeah, Julie's Green Room. I think it was canceled too soon. I really do. Again, it's again, it's definitely not catering to an older demographic. I'm not sure I would continue to watch it on the regular unless maybe they had a really great guest star. Or if you have a kid, yeah. if I had a kid, I'd definitely watch mm-hmm. it, and I think it would be really healthy. Is this something you'd watch with uh, with your son? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Did he watch if, any of it by any chance? Uh, no. Uh, well, I mean. You had to watch it at like I I, I had to watch it like yeah late at night in yeah. different different scenarios where my son just wasn't around, but um. I would. I wish I could have shown it to him. This is not like his kind of show, unfortunately. You know, mm. I'm learning something a little bit strange about children's entertainment. Yeah, what's that? And just sort of the future of entertainment in general. And I think teenagers can probably also attest to this. Scripted programming is uh, probably a smaller portion of the market than you think. Yeah. A lot of it is um, vlog tile type stuff where people are just sort of addressing the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, we watch a show called Good Mythical Morning, which is one of the biggest shows on YouTube, starring these guys named Rhett and Link, and they do a lot of like oh. eating challenges. Oh. It's like let let's taste test things between these like two like Ruffles versus Lay's, or uh, sometimes it's you know we're gonna invent like what what would freezing cold Cheetos taste like? Right. Uh, that sort of thing is is now really big business on YouTube, and that's oh. where a lot of the entertainment I is. And like... my my kid who yeah. is really into Hot Wheels right now. Uh, 
likes to watch videos of people racing Hot Wheels. It's all documentary stuff yeah, yeah, on yeah. YouTube. Just people sort of filming the things they do. Yeah. And I think that's easy for him to grasp because it's reality. He can, yeah, there's he can no understand artifice. that. Yeah. And I think scripted entertainments, he's not as big on yet. Now, he is, he's only four. He's almost oh, five. Fiction's <laughs> always been popular. I don't think so, it's yeah. ever going to go completely out of style. No, I think absolutely, absolutely it, yeah. not. But I, I think a good deal of modern entertainment is going to be I mean, it's going to be scripted, but it's going to be feel like more natural. It's going to feel authenticity is is the the word of the day. Have you noticed that it seems like in some respects, mm. art and art delivery systems are regressing? And I don't necessarily mean in quality. Mm. I, it's like, um, well, for uh, for for example, a lot of people are like talking about like streaming services like Tubi, uh-huh. Tubi TV. It's a nice little service. They have a lot of movies. Some of them are really good. And a lot of it's free, and you just watch it. But the thing is, is that you have to watch it with commercials, and you can't mm. skip them. And that's the future of streaming. I mean, I'm told. Yeah. And I'm like, so it's TV again. It's TV again. Yeah. yeah you can watch them whenever you want, but you have to watch the commercials. That's something that we were moving past for like 20 years, <laughs> and now it's new again. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, you, and, YouTube was interesting because it was just it was called YouTube, Tube yeah. of the People. The two yeah. that is Tube as in cathode ray tube, as in your TV. Yeah. I don't. I'm not sure if people put the the tube together, but um, well, I'm talk, this is I'm talking about tubi, tubi, tubi. Yeah, but tu- that's a different thing. The idea is the people were supposed to have that, and it was free of sort of corporate advertising. You turn on any YouTube video now; it doesn't matter who put it up; it'll stop abruptly, randomly in the middle, and you'll get served an ad. There are some like, shows I've actually okay. seen that like try to have an organic ad break, mm-hmm. and then the ad is always five seconds too early anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I feel bad. Why the ad, bother at that? If the ad break, they come back. Okay, now, now that we're back from that ad commercial. <laughs> oh, I know it's death. Um, but the other thing I've noticed is that like like you were saying, like there's a lot of different programming now that's way more just people talking to the audience. That's what more of TV used to be in the 50s was like variety mm. shows and people just yeah, like talking um, directly to the folks at home. Well, and that's what a like, lot of you know, old, learning to yeah. cook or everything like that. These are older, older, mm. older styles and they're coming back into fashion because it's the easiest thing to do. That's why we did it when we invented television. It was yeah. easy. The uh, If you look at Sesame Street, you know, that's been around for decades and they still have that sort of thing where they're addressed. They're telling stories in an educational milieu. Uh, mm-hmm. And that was their mi- that was their mission statement back when they first started up. They looked into educational uh, disciplines mm-hmm. and decided to construct entertainment based on that. So they were able to actually teach kids things in an educational sort of way, but make it also entertaining. Yeah. Uh, and that sort of addressing the audience directly, that sort of calm, gentle speech is something that leaked into a lot of other entertainments and that Sesame Street still held on to. When a show does it now, it feels quaint. Yeah. And Julie's Green Room is quaint AF. Oh, totally. Uh, and you know, a it's like it's using puppets. It's very gentle. There's no edge to it. Mm-hmm. There's not a, not a lot of a conflict lot of or struggle in in a conventional sort of way. I mean, yeah, there's conflict, but like it's it's very chill. Mm. It, it's incredibly chill, and I think that kind of kid entertainment doesn't have a place in the mainstream market anymore. Because kids are too busy watching like YouTube videos. Well, I mean, the show did get functionally canceled. It didn't get picked up for another season, mm-hmm. um, which is a shame. Yeah. So I, I but think, I, I, you're, I do see why yeah. it maybe feels 
not necessarily old fashioned. Yeah, but I think that was kind of the point, though, was to try well, that's, to like that's the point. But you, you know, know, get and, kids more into old fashioned entertainment, and people our age can recognize what that show is doing. I'm not sure if kids who are learning enter, learning about entertainment differently now, yeah, they're learning a new entertainment vocabulary. Exactly, they wouldn't necessarily pick up on something that what Julie's Groom Room is doing, even though I think they would benefit highly from it. I think that's why we have a lot of nostalgia for something like Mr. Rogers, yeah. and this is what this is all coming from. Uh, yeah. Mr. Rogers Neighborhood, everybody's like, oh, we love Mr. Rogers. He taught me so much. Could a kid watch Mr. Rogers? The answer is yes. I've shown my kid Mr. Rogers, and he's very excited about it, and he understands the land of make-believe, and he understands mm-hmm. that Mr. Rogers is this very gentle human being who's talking to him and making yeah. him feel special. But that's not something we can have anymore. There's this big, heavy, thick layer of nostalgia on top of Mr. Rogers that's sort of separating us from the purity of his message. Well, I think there's also... uh, uh, um, Talk about, like, you were saying about the layer of nostalgia Mm. that separates us Mm. from his message. There's... Oh, I had another thing. What prevents Mm. us from... Prevents kids from getting into something. Oh, I, th- oh, I think uh, I think competition can actually be detrimental mm. in a situation like this, yeah. where if everyone's competing for your kid's attention, the people who are louder and more distracting mm. will get the kid's attention. That's not necessarily the best thing. Mm. It might be. There are a lot of good, louder, you know, crazier kid shows. I have no objection to that in principle, but. Mm. The quieter stuff, the more calming stuff, the stuff that I think kids need as an antidote to all of that sugary loudness, that's the stuff that in a competitive market where it's not just four channels on television, Mm -hmm. but everything you can find on streaming, kids aren't going to gravitate towards that. And something like Mr. Rogers or Julie's Green Room is going to be seen as the equivalent of, I want a snack. Okay, here are some carrots. Mm -hmm. Damn it! Like, <laughs> but like, if you off, if all you give them is the carrots, they'll eat the carrots, and maybe they'll learn to enjoy carrots. But if you give them, okay, you can either have carrots or spicy Cheetos. Mm. I'll take the Cheetos. <laughs> spicy Cheetos are exciting kid, and fun yeah, yeah. And, and cool, and, and, and they and, taste and, weird. And, and extreme with no e. Yeah, yeah like that's the thing. So like, kids are gonna gravitate towards the stuff that kids like, but the stuff that kids like isn't necessarily the stuff that kids need. And I think. When it comes to raising kids, and granted, I haven't raised any of myself, mm-hmm. so take this with a grain of salt if you must, but I believe that, and this is what I was taught, the media we consume, be it books, TV, movies, mm-hmm. video games, whatever, uh, should be at least treated by parents as yet another diet. Yeah. You know, like, okay, it's okay for your kid to have some chips, but make sure the kid's also eating vegetables and fruits. Mm-hmm. You know, like make sure they're actually like eating somewhat healthily. They need a balanced diet. I think kids also need a balanced diet of the stuff that they read and mm. the stuff that they they're, watch. They're, they're the media they consume. And yeah, you you want to have some loud this, stuff? Cool. I want you to see also see some some calm these, these stuff. Questions and, are always being asked, especially as media is just evolved so quickly. Mm-hmm. And the whole notion of like how much screen time should a kid have? Should, can yeah. you give a should you give a kid a tablet in the backseat of the car if they're annoying you? Yeah. Is that a good or a bad thing? Uh, is is that good for their brains or is it bad for their brains? And we don't know yet because we don't know the long-term effects of these things because they're so new. There was a good gag in that movie, This Is 40, where they're trying to uh, punish their kids. Mm. And they're like, okay, no internet for the rest of the week. That's how we do our homework. Yeah. 
Okay, some internet for the rest of the week. <laughs> like, it just doesn't work anymore. Kids mm. need to understand, like, how to interact yeah. Me- media, with interactive media yeah, now because media, that's what life but, is. And this is a whole different conversation about media literacy yeah, among yeah. children. But I think it's pertinent to Julie's Green Room because Julie's Green Room is such a throwback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is yeah, such a... live yeah. theater. Most ladies don't go to see live theater that often. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. And I think it, a, a, often, it's, it's teaching them something very important about the, the life of theater and the arts. Uh, in in a way that's not sort of like snotty or hoity-toity, that that there's not any kind of gatekeeping with theater. It's just theater is great, isn't Mm -hmm. it? Yeah. That's a great message to give to And there's something for everyone in the theater. Every interest you could possibly have is, you could do it in the theater. Also in that frustrating McLuhan-y sense, we're getting a lot (laughs) from the medium itself, from the fact that this is on Netflix, that this is something they can stream directly onto a tablet in the backseat of the car if they wanted to. That's ironic, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my uh, my son likes to watch a show. Well, we like it more than he does. But there's a show on Amazon. It's called Tumble Leaf, mm. and it's a stop motion animated show about these anthropomorphic animal characters who live in uh, like a glade. They live out in the woods, and all of the adventures are about. I found a pa- I, like I found a stick. What can I do with it? Yeah. Let's draw in the sand. Here's how to here's how to build things out of sand in a sandcastle. It's essentially a show teaching kids how to play outside, because. Yeah you realize some kids might not know how to do that anymore. Not because kids aren't attaching themselves to that. Kids are open to playing any way they want. But I think parents are so used to like just sort of pushing kids in front of a screen as a babysitter. Think about how many, well, let's just be, let's just be fair here. Mm -hmm. There are some people who have a backyard. There's a lot of people who don't. Yeah. There's a lot of people living in urban environments where just letting your kid run around outside isn't safe. Mm. You can't just like, you you don't have a backyard. You have concrete. That's true. You know, the, we, you, we found a way to play outdoors and we walk course. up and down in the block and we go outside. But, My kid loves to go outside. But, but you're, you don't have a tree for the kid to hang a yeah, swing on. You exactly. don't have, you know, you don't have a wooded area. You don't have a public park right across mm-hmm. the street from you. Like, and you live right next to the street. So you can't leave your kid unsupervised just because mm-hmm. you might trust your kid. But how could you trust every driver in California? Like, it's just an impractical thing to have your kid running around outside in many places. Yeah. So... So we have these sort of fantasy... Yeah. Or, you know, if you live in a, a small town that doesn't have a lot of theater, maybe they don't even have a community theater. Yeah. This is... Uh, a th- Julie's Green Room is a wonderful syringe full of ambition. Where, uh, like, j- hopes and dreams are, like, reaching these kids' eyeballs. Like, I want to be a singer and a dancer someday. Well, you can't. Well, I'm going to anyway. Mm-hmm. And when they get accepted into Juilliard, you'll be glad that you showed them Julie's Green Room. There you go. Um, so yeah, definitely canceled too soon. Mm. Julie's Green Room, very, very sweet. And if you have kids, I highly recommend watching it. And watch it with them. I yeah, highly recommend. Yeah. Because if you just leave it to them, they might get kind of bored with it. Like, interact with them. Do the exercises with them. The warm-up exercises. Mm. Get them engaged. That'll be a really positive thing, I think. Um, so that's this episode of Canceled Too Soon. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We'll be back next week uh, with another series that was chosen via poll. Uh, this particular episode was going to be dedicated to some short-lived Netflix show. Next week, we were going to pick uh, one of the short-lived Amazon Prime shows. Mm-hmm. And the show that got picked was Jean-Claude Van Johnson, which is a show that, much like the movie JCVD, sort of conflates the reality of being Jean-Claude Van Damme with like the sort of fantasy universe where he's a badass. Mm. Um, you've already watched it. I haven't started it yet, but there's only like six episodes. There's only six episodes. Yeah. Six 30 minute episodes too. So, so I'll be able to catch up to it pretty a, quick. It's a quick John. We, we'll be back pretty soon. It won't be two weeks before the next episode. <laughs> I promise. Uh, in the meantime, we're going to have a new poll up. So you can, if you're uh, a subscriber on Patreon, patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network for, for $1 a month, you get to take place, uh, take part in our polls. 
uh, in which you get to pick at future episodes of Cancel Too Soon, as well as uh, every single episode of The Iron List, where we do uh, a big top ten list of movies, or uh, theoretically we could do TV or something like that, too. Yeah. We haven't done it yet. It's, it's been movie-themed so far. Typically, we, we identify as film critics. That's where most of our expertise is, but TV might be fun. We should do that mm. sometime. Um so we got new polls coming up for Cancel Too Soon and The Iron List coming up at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Uh, we are very close at the critically acclaimed network oh, to reaching our goal actually, yeah. of 250 subscribers. When we started that Patreon, we thought we would never get that high. <laughs> and we set a goal and we said that at 250 subscribers, if we get 250 subscribers... Mm. We will do the Cancel Too Soon show we got asked about the most that we said no to, partially because it broke our rules, but partially because it seemed like a cliche. Mm. But if we get 250 subscribers, we, we agreed we would not only cover Firefly, we would do one podcast per episode of Firefly, and that would be uh, available on Patreon. For everybody. We'll do that even mm. for $1 subscribers, because we're counting everybody. Uh, so we're I think we're six subscribers away. We are. Uh, as of this recording, we are but six, six subscribers away. So if six more people no. subscribe to us, and we're going to wait, like, we need to make sure that number sticks for a little bit. You don't get it's, to go for one month, because if we dip down below 250, we stop doing Firefly. <laughs> we stop doing stopped. it until it's back up. If we, we do like three fireflies, then we're at 249. Okay, I get it, but we're not coming back until we're back to past 250. That's my rule. <laughs> now, I suppose if you're like a $5 subscriber uh-huh. and you want to game the system by opening like a bunch of fake email accounts and subscribing at $1 this? levels. You, well, if you, if you only do the $1 Look, levels, you're not going to get the $5 perks. That's true. So it doesn't really help you. It doesn't. Well, if, if but if you're willing to push yourself, push us over the le- the ledge that way. If all you care about is Firefly, fair enough. You're welcome to do that. Yeah. You're gaming the system. You're cheating. Yeah. And by the way, this is but every you level. you got to stay subscribed. Every yeah. level counts. And, so if and you're yeah, subscribing at the $10 any, level, the $20 level, all of that counts. Level, but we counts, counted yeah. even at the $1. However, if once we hit Firefly, we need to come up with a new tier. Like if we hit 500 subscribers, we mm. got to do this. So we need to think about that. If anyone wants to leave us a suggestion... For what we could do, for like a five, if we hit 500, we'll do this. Mm-hmm. Uh, let us know. You can tweet us okay. at Critic Acclaim or I'm at William Bibiani. I'm at Whitney Seibel. You can also leave a comment on uh, the Patreon page for this episode. Uh, and the episodes are, you know, the pa- this part is public on Patreon, but the Patreon exclusives like our Oscars podcast, our Star Trek podcast. Uh, we're about to do uh, an episode of the Cancel Too Soon Monthly Movie talking about The Parent Trap 2. <laughs> Which, uh, mm. I'll just tell you right now, yikes. <laughs> I will say yikes to the parent trap, too. Mm. That's going to be a hell of a conversation. Um, anyway, that's all that's at patreon.com slash critically acclaimed network. Thank you to everybody who is currently subscribed. We couldn't and wouldn't be doing this without you. Uh, again, I already told you about our Twitter stuff. I'm trying to think of anything I'm forgetting. Uh, buy, buy my buy my audio drama. Yeah, buy his audio drama. What the no, hell? If, if you're a twenty twenty dollar <laughs> if you're a twenty dollar subscriber, you get access to it anyway. But uh, yeah. I've, I've done two of these so far. The first one is called The Tenth Muse. The new one is called Love at Nana. And uh, you can just contact me on uh, either Twitter or on Instagram or however you can find me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can pay via PayPal or Venmo. I'm charging ten bucks, and I will send you an MP3 of this thirty minute radio drama that I scripted myself and is starring actresses who are far more talented than I am. And and also you can get this, uh, your previous one as well. That's right. That's, that, that one is also for sale. Uh, yeah. the 10th Muse. If, if you want to get them both at once, maybe we can strike a deal. We'll, yeah. we'll talk. And he's working on a third. So uh, if yeah. you like the I've first re- two... I've, record, I've recorded a third. I just need to edit.
excited in. You've had that some one very nice too. reviews, by the way. From, so, I mean, some not, people have liked them. So, I mean, not yeah. like we've had like hoity-toity critics listening to them, but mm. the people who bought them, you've, said, you've had some nice feedback. Yeah. yeah. So it, his work comes recommended. <laughs> and I do recommend it as well. Um, okay, so everybody, thank you once again for listening uh, to us here at Cancel Too Soon. We'll be back uh, next week with Jean-Claude Van Johnson, which is still on Amazon Prime. If you're a subscriber, you can watch it for no additional cost. You can join along with us. New polls coming to Patreon. We're on Twitter. Okay, we're good. That's a wrap, everybody. We will see you next season.